Hey everyone, I uh, just wanted to apologize. We had some audio technical difficulties during the show. We're doing everything we can to fix it before the next episode, but I hope you can still find enjoyment from this one. Hello everyone, my name is Joe Fricky, and welcome to the first official episode of Movie Changeup, where we repitch and reboot the movies we love and love to hate, but with a little added twist. I'm joined by my competitor today. Why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Johnny Duke, champion of the Tesser episode last week. And we also have our first ever judge, who I'm hoping is impartial. Why don't you tell the people who you are? Uh, my name's Bobby, and uh, I just so happen to be a brother of one of the competitors here, but that does not mean that I won't be impartial, and I think Johnny knows that too well. We can judge each other pretty harsh on our movie commentaries. Um, so I'm looking forward to hearing your pitches. All right. And uh, how this podcast works? works is Johnny and I are going head-to-head pitching 10 movie reboots. However, we also have 10 rules we have to apply to our reboots. One rule per movie, and you can't use a rule more than once. Bobby, do you want to tell the people what 10 movies we are doing today and also what rules we have to follow? Yep, I got them right here. So we are starting with um, Weird Science, and then uh, we from 1985, we have 12 Angry Men from 1957, Con Air from 1997, Daredevil from 2003, Forrest Gump from 1994, The Goonies from 1985, Shawshank Redemption from 1994, Super Mario Brothers from 1993, Warrior from 2011, and Wild Wild West from 1999, which is probably more famous now thanks to Kevin Smith than the actual movie itself. And the song. Yeah, and the song. That's pretty much it. The song's Uh, a banger. Yeah. Wild Wild West. Uh, Now I'll read you off the rules. So there's 10 rules, one for each movie. Uh, One needs to be a Tim Burton movie. Uh, You have to add a twist to one. One needs to star the cast of Grown Ups. One needs to be directed by Guillermo del Toro with Doug Jones as a monster or creature. You have to resurrect an actor's career in one. You need to include Jay and Silent Bob. One needs to be made into a space movie. One needs to take place 100 years into the future. One needs to be in the same universe as Pirates of the Caribbean. And one needs to be an animated animal movie like Disney's Robin Hood, for example. Yeah, have had fun with that one. Yeah. yeah that that, that, that <laughs> one was that, a little bit of a struggle. That was, that was Joe's idea. Just to I, I think I know what I would have picked, but that, that's an odd rule to, to win a point. <laughs> All right. So as Bobby mentioned, so Joe won the coin toss before uh, the episode started. So... He chose to start with Weird Science, and he is going to pitch first. All right. So to give you a backstory on the original Weird Science, uh, it was written by John Hughes, and I believe he directed it as well, but I'm not 100% sure. It stars Anthony Michael Hall and another kid that went on to not be famous. And they watch Fra- – they're not good with women. They're nerdy kids, and they decide after watching Frankenstein that they're going to create a woman, and she's going to help them become better with women and become cool. And they do that and they use computers and they hook the computer up to like a Barbie doll and there's a power surge and the Barbie doll becomes this like beautiful woman played by Kelly LeBrock and she has magical powers and she makes like a nuclear weapon and brings mutants that the kids have to fight to make them look cool. And at the end of the movie, uh, they date their crushes and they're respected by their peers. And that's basically the plot of the original weird science 
And so for my uh, for my reboot, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to start by talking about who I chose as my composer. Now, the person that re- or the band that recorded the original song for Weird Science was a band by the name of Oingo Boingo. And the lead singer of Oingo Boingo went on to be a famous film composer who composed scores like Batman Returns and Big Top Pee Wee and Batman and who are all movies directed by Tim Burton. So I decided who would be better than to direct a reboot of Weird Science than Tim Burton himself. Now, for my Gary Wallace, who was originally played by Anthony Michael Hall, I picked Asa Butterfield, who has starred in Hugo and Netflix's Sex Education, and he was also in Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Now, my Wyatt Donnelly, I chose Alex Wolfe, who has been in Hereditary and Patriot's Day and was the main star of well, the main kid in Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Now for my Lisa, the woman they build, who was originally played by Kelly LeBrock, I chose Ava Green, who was in Casino Royale, Penny Dreadful, and also Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Now my idea for this movie is it's a black and white movie shot in a 4-3 aspect ratio. Its tone is a cross between Ed Wood and Batman Returns. And the plot is two college boys in the late 1930s, Gary, a biology major, and Wyatt, an engineering major, try hitting on two girls, but their jock boyfriends approach the boys and bully them. The two boys are mad about how terrible they are with girls, and they decide to get their minds off of it and go to the theater to watch the new horror movie, Frankenstein. Midway through the movie, Gary gets the idea to build a woman. Wyatt doesn't think it's possible, but Gary says between his knowledge of biology and Wyatt's knowledge of engineering and the school's equipment, They should be able to. The two of them then head to the school's lab. They have a machine set up with a laser gun pointed at an empty table. Wyatt is turning bolts on the big machine. Gary is flipping through biology textbooks. Wyatt begins spinning his dials and knobs. Bolts of electricity are coming from the laser gun and shoot through rolls of film of famous actresses of that era onto the empty table. The boys are getting excited. The light is so bright the table can't be seen anymore. The boys cover their eyes. There is a loud buzz, and Wyatt reaches over and pulls a lever. The room becomes darker as the machine uh, powers down. Laying on the table is a woman. The boys decide to name her Lisa. Lisa takes them to a party, and everyone is shocked to see Wyatt and Gary with a beautiful woman. Lisa spends the movie giving the boys confidence to talk to girls and stand up to bullies. Since it's the 1930s, she takes them to gangster hangouts and hang out at frat parties. The movie ends with the girls deciding to leave their boyfriends and date Gary and Wyatt. We see Lisa has become a professor at the university. And some other small changes I made is in the original version, Lisa had superpowers. In my version, Lisa doesn't have any kind of superpowers. She's just a regular, normal person. I mean, other than the fact of how she was created. And other than that, that's my pitch for uh, Tim Burton's Weird Science. All right. All right. Good good pitch. And now, uh, Johnny Dupe, if you want to give yours, and I'll compare. All right. So... Joe and I had talked a little beforehand. We thought maybe we would have the same rule on weird science. I did feel like this was maybe a good setting for a Tim Burton movie. But the thing that I always thought was unrealistic in weird science, which is a movie full of, you know, obviously unrealism, if that's a term, is it takes place in the 80s and these kids have this amazing technology and they should be just like world famous for it. So I'm going to make that more realistic by setting this movie 100 years in the future. Um, so you have that futuristic technology that make a little more sense because you're going to already have a fantastical world. Um, 
So for my movie, I cast Gary, uh, the lead character, originally Anthony Michael Hall, as Joe said, as as Nolan Gould. Uh, He was Luke on uh, Modern Family, probably still is. I think that show's going on. Um, As my Wyatt, I picked uh, Jacob Batalon. He was Ned in uh, Spider-Man Homecoming and the new uh, Spider-Man you know, universe. My Lisa, Kelly LeBrock in the original, I needed one of the most beautiful women in the world, someone who fits the part and someone who can do my new weird science song. And that's going to be played by Rihanna. So they create Rihanna, the most perfect woman. Um, I feel like she fits that role very well. Um, and then my two girls in the movie, uh, Deb, I have Lana Condor from To All the Boys I've Loved Before. She's also Jubilee in the new X-Men movies. Um, and Hilly, is going to be Yara Shahidi from Blackish and Grownish. Um, and then my director is going to be John Watts, who also does the new Spider Man movies. And he did a great little film called Cop Car. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen that, I recommend checking that out. Um, but basically, my pitch is it's, it's pretty similar to the story of the original movie, but we set it in the future. So the technology makes more sense. So the year is uh, 2120. Uh, two high school nerds who have no luck with women decide to create the most perfect woman using futuristic technology. Lisa ends up teaching the boys how to get women on their own, and they end up with the two girls uh, that have been right there in front of them the whole time, which is uh, Hilly and Deb, because they're going to be friends in the beginning of the movie, but the boys don't really see them as women. They're just kind of nerdy girls. And then by the end of it, Lisa teaches them, hey, you got to be brave by creating, you know, more like we're instead of weird little mutant zombie bikers that uh, kidnap them, it's going to be more robotic technology and that she can kind of control them. So they're not just, uh, you know, crazy on their own monsters. Um, but that's, that's pretty much it. It's a similar plot. We're going to update some of the humor in the movie. Um, and, uh, and Rihanna, I felt like was the best choice for Lisa. So that's my pitch. Okay. So this is an interesting one in one for me because I liked Joe's, uh, his cast better than Johnny's. I, but I also think that Johnny used the rule better. I think the technology works because I don't know if that sounded quite Tim Burton-y for me, that, that pitch. Yeah. My, my thought process is, is, was that the whole, like making a woman out of nothing, like scientifically, it just doesn't make sense. And I thought if he could make, revive selena kyle by like cats licking her and me being like yeah i can buy that then he can make a woman out of nothing and have me be like yeah i buy that so the only thing that i think messed you up is you took away the magical powers because i think that is very tim burtony yeah but i love eva green is one of my favorite actresses um casino royale is my favorite bond movie and she's my favorite bond girl um so i love that Johnny's cast is good. It's a it's a very good movie, a very good cast. But here's, for some reason, here's my note. and Asa Butterfield just stood out to me. But my note on Joe's cast, I like both his actors. I actually cast them in two of my movies last week. But like, I went with people that would actually kind of feel like you know, like the nerds or you know, people who at least have experience kind of doing that. Like uh, Asa Butterfield is like a leading man, and Alex Wolf is like a like kind of a heartthrob. So I felt mm-hmm. like those were kind of like the original Anthony Michael Hall was like the ultimate nerd actor did, you know, the breakfast club and all the John Hughes movies. And then you replaced him with Asa Butterfield. Who's like a movie star. Right. So I feel like the look, which, of is, and, which is understandable. It's so, but as far as the judging goes for me, basically it was tied one, one for a while. So Joe took the cast, Johnny took the rule. Um, but as far as the pitch, I think Joe 
put more into it and I got more out of what movie he was making. So I kind of liked his pitch better than just setting it in the future. I think the setting in the future did make the technology work, but it didn't really change the movie and, you know, to make it as interesting for me. So I think I'm going to give Joe point number one for weird science. Yeah. Cause right. I'm better. Well, Joe's got to make up for his lack of pitching last week. So now I feel like all his are going to be very, very detailed. And they don't um, need to be detailed to win just so you know, but it just gave me a better picture and just kind of broke the tie for me. All right. So, you know what? I'm going to, uh, since I lost that point, I'm going to pick our next movie. Um, and I think I'm going to go with uh, 12 Angry Men and I will, I will give my pitch first. Um, so 12 Angry Men, for those of you who have not seen it, it's a classic, um, should be seen by everybody. The whole movie takes place in one jury room and it's 12 jurors. They have to decide the fate of a young Mexican boy who is accused of stabbing his father to death. Um, everyone, they do an initial vote. Only one juror says not guilty because it's not, you know, it's not reasonable doubt. So he basically, the rest of the movie convinces people that there is reasonable doubt that we can't just um, kill this kid or send him to his death or send him to prison over something when we don't have all the facts. So he kind of slowly gets everyone on his side by the end. And it deals with racism um, is like one of the main themes and just like, actually caring about people because there's people that just want to kind of get out of there, go to the ball game. Um, there's people who are prejudiced against Mexican kids and stuff. So that's basically the, the everything you need to know about 12 angry men, but go definitely see that movie. If you, if you haven't seen it, um, this, this at first was a tough one looking at it because 12 angry men is such a classic. They have done a couple remakes and uh, theater plays and stuff for it, but you basically have the same story. So I'm not going to change the story too much, but what I'm going to do is Guillermo del Toro is going to do his version of 12 Angry Men. Um, and Doug Jones is going to be my lead uh, juror number eight. So this now in uh, my 12 Angry Men by Guillermo del Toro takes place in a fantasy world uh, ruled mostly by mythical creatures um, where a human boy is convicted of killing his father. Uh, the movie takes place in a courtroom where a jury of all mythical creatures are set to decide the fate of the human defendant. Juror number eight, played by Doug, jo Doug Jones, um, is an elf who is the only one to vote innocent after the first vote. He proceeds to convince the rest of the creatures in the jury that there is reasonable doubt that the boy killed his father. He's met with resistance by the other creatures in the room, including juror number three, uh, played by Danny DeVito, an angry little troll. Uh, Juror number 10, played by Ron Perlman as a Yeti who's racist against humans for endangering his people. Um, and juror number seven, James McAvoy, an anxious fawn wanting to get the case over with as soon as possible. Um, so that's that's pretty much just my cast in my pitch. Um, I didn't cast all 12 people because those are the main ones mm -hmm. uh, in there. So those that's my, that's my pitch and my cast. Okay. I like that one yeah. a lot. So let's see if Joe can top it. All right. That's not what I did at all. So my pick, I figured 12 angry men, what better place to have 12 angry people locked in the same area than in the world of Pirates of the Caribbean? Oh, God. Wow. No. Not what I expected at all. I got to say, that's the one throwing me for a loop now. 
I was inspired by the Brethren Court scene in Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, which is one of my favorite scenes of the franchise outside of The Curse of the Black Pearl. It's basically all of these pirate leaders from around the world coming together to make the decision of do we release Calypso to attack the British Navy? Now, here's my cast. My Captain Barbosa, obviously Jeffrey Rush. My Captain Will Turner, obviously Orlando Bloom. Then you have Captain Sao Fang, played by Chow Yun-Fat. My Captain Teague, who's a.k.a. Jack Sparrow's dad, played by Keith Richards. And my Mistress Chang, uh, played by Takayo Fisher. And those are all people in the original Brethren Court scene. And I've added some people. I've added uh, Jamie Foxx as an African pirate. I've added Christoph Waltz as a German pirate. I've added uh, Damien Bashir, who's in Hateful Eight, as a Mexican pirate. And then I've added, I'm not sure how to say his name, but it's Denis Menoche, who is the French farmer in the opening of Inglorious Bastards uh, as a French pirate in my movie. Now, my movie would be set between At World's End and On Stranger Tide, where a young pirate has been accused of killing a member of the Brethren Court at the Admiral Benbow Inn, which would basically be an equivalent of the Continental and John Wick, but for pirates. The Brethren Court comes together to determine if the accused should be sent to Davy Jones' locker. Orlando Bloom's Will Turner is the Juror 8 equivalent, the one arguing on the kid's behalf. Christoph Waltz is the Juror 3 equivalent, the last one to turn who breaks down in an emotional moment during the climax. Keith Richards' Captain Teague is the Juror 9 equivalent, the old man in second to turn, and then the rest can fill in the gaps. Oh, and I forgot my writer-director. My writer-director is Quentin Tarantino because it's a room full of pirates and the movie is all dialogue. It's perfect for Tarantino. It is a great base story that has Tarant- that Tarantino has a lot of room to put his own spin on because all of Tarantino's best scenes happen at, around a table. The opening of Inglorious Bastards. Calvin Candy breaking the glass in his hand. It's perfect for Tarantino. And that's my pitch, 12 Angry Pirates. So so wait, who who's like on trial? It's a the, a kid has been a ch- like a young pirate, like early twenties, has been accused of killing a member of the Brethren Court at got a it, got it, got it. inn that was supposed to be like the Continental in John Wick, where you're not allowed to conduct any business. I took the name because it's the name of the inn in the opening of Treasure Island. Okay, okay. I before Bobby gets into yeah. his ruling, just to touch yeah. on a few things from Joe's pitch. I feel like you took out like the most important thing of 12 angry men, which was about racism. And that's like kind of the point of the movie, right? But I added pirates. You added yeah. pirates. Also one other thing, Joe and I are now no longer going to have the commonality on any of these rules. <laughs> no, because no, two of them are going to be obvious. And then he made this a pirates of the Caribbean movie. Yeah. No way mm-hmm. that we matched up on any of ours. again. So, yeah, Joe's. You definitely threw me for a loop there, and uh, the, yeah, I, I think it, it pretty much changes. It does a couple things. It changes Twelve Angry Men a little too much as far as the actual themes, and no one who wants to go see a Pirates of the Caribbean movie wants to see a courtroom drama. So I do. With, even with its Quentin Tarantino, I don't think I, I don't know how well that would do. Um, and honestly, the monsters with a you know a human boy on trial really got me, uh, and the cast was great. So um, that one was kind of a runaway for me right off the bat. And Johnny Dupe gets the point. Perfect. I, I picked that because yeah. I was very confident in that in that in that pitch. As yeah, that as, was a good as one. Soon as, he started, 
as soon as he started talking about racism, I'm like, oh, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> and I'm like, who can I put around the table? I forgot about the most like important part of the movie, um, the, the the whole themes and social aspect. But the, I will tell you this, Joe, you did use your Quentin Tarantino pitch much better this week than last. Than that, last is true. Week, that is true. That is true. All right, so uh, Joe, what's uh, what's your what's your choice? I'm debating. I think I'm gonna go with Goonies, and I'll start. But hold up, let me, uh, I'll go with Goonies, okay. and I'll give the backstory. Basically, Goonies is a 1985 movie directed by Richard Donner, and essentially, uh, it's area in Oregon is being taken over, I think, by like land developers or something. And all these parents and kids are going to have to move away. And these kids decide to go on one last adventure when Mikey, played by Sean Astin, finds a treasure map in his attic. And they go and find the treasure. He gathers up all his friends and eventually finds his brother and this girl that's crushing on his brother and her friend. And they hide out in this, I think it's like a restaurant where this small crime family of like a mom and her two adult sons I've been using it as a hideout, and then we find that they have like a mentally deformed son, like a mentally handicapped son who's like deformed, is also there. And Mikey's friend Chunk befriends the deformed son named Sloth. And they fi- go through a bunch of booby traps and see a bunch of weird creatures and find the treasure. And then with the treasure, they're able to pay off the land developers and keep their house, and they don't have to move. And that's essentially the plot of the Goonies more or less now my goonies pitch is my director is guillermo del toro there we go Uh, my mikey is played by jacob tremblay who is in the room and was in wonder my brand mikey's older brother is played by nick robinson who's the older brother in jurassic world my chunk is jeremy ray taylor who played ben in the new it movie my mouth is jack dylan grazer who played Eddie in the new It movie, and who's also in Shazam. My data is Hudson Yang, who is in ABC's Fresh Off the Boat. My Andy, who's the girl that's crushing on brand, is played by Mackenzie Foy, who is young Murph in Interstellar. My staff, Andy's best friend, is Kiernan Shipka, who is in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and she was also the daughter on Mad Men. And I also made a small change. Instead of Mama Fratelli, it's Mama Franklin, and my... Uh, Mama Franklin is played by Octavia Spencer, who is in Shape of Water. And her two sons, Jake and Francis, are played by Idris Elba and Daniel Kaluuya. And my sloth is obviously played by Doug Jones. Now, my pitch. An area of Western Oregon, nicknamed the Goondocks, is being taken over by land developers, forcing families to move away. Mikey, the leader of his group of friends, wants one last adventure before they all leave. In his history class, his his teacher tells a legend about a pirate who supposedly hid all of his gold in the area where the Goondocks is now. Mikey convinces his reluctant friends to go to the town's local museum to start their search. There, they see an old map with an X, along with a gold coin, framed and hanging in the museum. The museum historian reiterates what the history teacher said. Mouth asks Mikey if he's going to steal the map, and he says no. Mikey pulls out his phone and just takes a picture of it. They go off towards the X and run to Mikey's brother, Brand, his girlfriend, Amy, and her best friend, Steph, at an old abandoned restaurant that is a popular makeout spot for teenagers. 
Bran wants nothing to do with his brother's adventure, but the girls think it could be fun. Returning to the restaurant are the Franklins, a family of criminals who have been using it as a hideout. Uh, the kids find a tunnel to hide in, but Mikey's friend Chunk, who is rather quiet because of a bad speech impediment, is captured by the Franklins, and they tie him to a chair next to a chained-up beast-like monster. Chunk names the beast Woth because it reminds him of his neighbor's terrifying dog of the same name. Eventually, Chunk realizes the beast isn't bad and won't hurt him if he's nice to him. One of the Franklins hits Chunk as they ask him information about his friends. Sloth freaks out, and this scares the Franklins back upstairs. The Franklins apparently only keep Sloth, who came up from the tunnel around because they plan on selling it as soon as they can find a buyer. When the Franklins are upstairs, Sloth breaks from breaks the chains holding him up and unties Chunk. Both of them go down in the tunnel, but where Mikey and his friends went left, Chunk and Sloth go right. Mikey and his friends encounter a bunch of booby traps and weird creatures, none of which compare to Sloth in size, scariness, or weirdness. Data uses his tech skills to get around the booby traps. The Franklins notice it has become quiet downstairs. One of them heads down when they see Sloth and Chunk are gone. They race down the tunnel but head to the left side following Mikey and his friends. The Goonies find the boat with the pirate's treasure. Brand realizes this is more than enough to buy the land from the developers and they all could stay. The Franklins catch up to them and threaten the kids at gunpoint. The two brothers tie the kids up. Off in the distance, we hear a yell, Hey, you guys! It's Chunk, who has become brave and gained confidence through his adventure. I wanted to make Chunk more of a main character because as time has gone on, Chunk is more memorable to the populace than Mikey is. Anyway, Chunk and Sloth swing in. Sloth fights off the Franklins and throws them off of the boat into the depths of the water below. The kids notice a light source in the distance, a cave exit. They leave the boat, but the boat was so old, the movement caused damage, and as they leave, it sinks into the water. The kids are upset, but they make it back to their parents, just when they start standing over their properties. They stop and all hug their kids. Sloth hangs back, but Chunk hugs Sloth and all the commotion and hugging. A gold coin drops from a pocket in Sloth's tattered clothing. Mikey picks it up. Chunk asks if he has more like it. Sloth unloads handfuls of gold coins and jewels from his pockets. The parents elect not to sign. My, I'll say my main reason for picking Guillermo del Toro as the main theme of in, in his movies are humans are the monsters and monsters tend to be nice people. And so I felt like that was a big theme in the Goonies as well, where the Fratellis were evil and Sloth, which is this big mutant creature, turned out to be Chunk's friend. And so I thought Guillermo del Toro was perfect for a reboot of the Goonies. And really so that is my pitch. Really good pitch. And Joe, did, did did you write a full script with that pitch too? Yeah, it kind of sounds like. Yeah. Because you know, literally just you just writing. wrote a new movie. I mean, I, 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 I that still, a lot of that it's is very Goonies. Goonies. It's still the Goonies. It was just a little change. I, I changed Sloth from like a deformed thing to like something that the pirate probably found on like an adventure or something that he was on the ship and over time he broke out and made his way up the tunnel yep. and up the cave. Makes sense. No, I have, I have a yeah, few I, uh, in that, but I'll wait I, for Johnny's pitch. All right. So the Goonies, um, it's funny that you picked that pitch, which we'll get to in a second. But I'll go over my cast. Um, so I wanted kids that still felt young. Um, I feel like even in Joe's, maybe the kids are a little too old, but it works for your movie better uh, than like if you're sticking to the original story. So – my Mikey, my lead character is going to be uh, played by Jacob Tremblay, who is hilarious in Good Boys. Um, he's also uh, in Room. Uh, my Chunk is Keith L. Williams, uh, also from Good Boys, and he's on The Last Man on Earth. 
my mouth is Sonny Soljic. He was the lead in mid nineties and he's the son in the killing of a sacred deer. Um, and my data funny enough is Ian Chen from fresh off the boat, but he's the younger brother. And Joe, I think you cast like the older one um, from the same show. Uh, my Brandon, who was originally Josh Brolin, that's going to be Nicol- Nicholas Hamilton. He played Henry, Henry Bowers in the new It movies. Um, and then Andy, played by Carrie Green originally, that's going to be Natalia Dyer, who is Nancy in Stranger Things. Um, I didn't change the names, but Mama Franklin would work for mine too, because my Mama Fratelli is Pam Greer. Um, from Jackie Brown, and my Jake and Francis are going to be Jordan Peele and Keegan-Michael Key, because I need some humorous characters to be her sons that kind of bash heads and uh, go after the kids. Um, and my sloth, I need a big, mutated kind of oaf that has history, you know, being inspired by Superman. So I chose Vin Diesel. <laughs> he basically, basically don't even have to put makeup on him. But he's bloated. Um, yeah, which <laughs> works better for him than Bane. But every week I will cast Vin Diesel as a character that says one word. <laughs> Instead of, hey, you guys, he's just going to say Superman. Um, and then my director, uh, I need someone who can do a funny, good adventure movie. And to pitch my tone, I really want to get the director right. So Jake Kasdan is my director. He did the new Jumanji movies. So that's really the tone I want to go with with, with these. Um, it's going to be more kind of coming at you humor than the original Goonies, but uh, it's still going to be a fun adventure movie. Um, and we'll get to my rule uh, in a second uh, during my pitch. Um, so anyway, so the boys, uh, as Joe said, I won't go over a lot of the same plot details as the original one, but the boys decide the only way to save their house um, and their community is to find the treasure of One-Eyed Willie uh, that they have a map for in in uh, Mikey's attic. So they go on an adventure. They start following the map and encounter a criminal family also searching for this treasure. Um, in the end, the Goonies decided it's too dangerous to recover the treasure after the boat is sinking. So they climb out of the tunnel. Um, even though they find the treasure, they decide, you know, let's get out with our lives because they go through a journey. They decide, hey, we have each other. No matter where we are, we're still going to be friends. Um, we don't need we don't need the treasure. And so they they leave. So then Jake, Francis and their mother steal the treasure and they escape. Um, so they climb out of the cave where it's starting to become dark outside moonlight shines upon them, which causes them to turn into skeletons. It is revealed that many years ago, one eyed Willie stole the cursed treasure from the pirates of the black Pearl uh, and brought it to America. So they stole the cursed treasure and the bad guys think they win, but when they steal it, they come out and now they are cursed skeleton people. So that's my, so Joe and I reversed our Pirates of the Caribbean and um, Guillermo del Toro on the last two movies. But wow. I think for sure Joe would set the only movie to deal with pirates mm-hmm. in the Pirates of the Caribbean universe. But I wanted my twist to kind of be more like uh, um, the end of, whatchamacallit, the... Uh, Curse of the Black Girl? Or? No, no, no. The, the uh, Unbreakable... Oh, split. Uh, movie split. So it's yeah, more yeah. like a twist ending. So like a twist. And then you reveal it's in the same universe. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought Joe was going to run away with that. And you just made it real tough. Cause I really loved yeah. both of those pitches. 
Can, can I ask a question to make it maybe easier? Is how do you explain that them turning into skeletons connects it to Curse of the Black Pearl? Like, if you're not actively thinking Curse of the Black Pearl in that moment, and you're just thinking, oh, they're skeletons now, like, how do we know this is the Aztec gold? I would go to, um, I would have, like, hints and Easter eggs around the movie that you'd see afterwards, uh, hinting to the pirates, like, in the cave they find. But the main thing I would have them reveal as, the as like, the, skeletons and then it cuts back and does a flashback to one-eyed willie stealing like the specific treasure from pirates of the caribbean um and see like the dead body mm-hmm. of uh what you might call it uh captain barbosa and stuff so you see that it's t- pirates of the caribbean yeah so hmm. so here's the thing if, if they were actually going to remake goonies joe's pitch is what i would want to see so I may revert to that, but the thing is you both use your rule really well. I did like Johnny's cast a little better. Hmm, this is a tough one. But I just feel the movie, yeah, the movie I would want to see as a Goonies movie is Joe's pitch. I feel like it keeps the heart. It keeps some relevant themes. Um, it, it just, it modernizes it. And but still pays tribute to the Goonies. So I think I have to give that one to Joe, but I really like that reveal. That was one of the better uses of a rule that I've that I've heard between the last episode and this. But um, I just think the Guillermo del Toro match and the way it was pitched just kind of won that for Joe. I can see it. I, I uh, This was one I was like, man, what do I do with the Goonies? I love that movie. It's tough to put these yeah. rules. But I was like, all right, I can incorporate the treasure they're doing, but I wanted to do it as a twist because it's that makes the whole thing. But I really did like Joe's pitch. That's mm-hmm. definitely the movie that I'd be more interested in, even though I'd love to see Jake Kasdan do more adventure movies because the new Jumanji movies are surprising. Oh, they're they're really good. Lot. Again, yeah. you made it really tough. I, I really like both those pitches a lot. Yeah. So both of our Pirates of the Caribbean pitches defeated by our Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Guillermo uh, beats Pirates. It's kind of the rule now. All right. Um, All right, Johnny. Okay. I, Don't I'm, pick another one I'm going to have to read long. That's your fault for writing such long pitches. I have like a paragraph for each. Well, I, I, yeah, just oh, and uh, hopefully we uh, we don't keep going back and forth, back and forth here because uh, I'm not doing it on purpose. But you guys are picking the ones that you want for the next one, so that's true. That's what it makes it easier. Like when you're the loser, and you pick. I, I like doing it this way. So let's go with one. I, you know, I'm just gonna throw a wild card in there. Let's do Forrest Gump, um, and right. I I'm gonna go go first on this one. Okay. All right, so. It was hard, again, to do Forrest Gump. It's a classic movie. You have a lot of characters in it. Um, But Forrest Gump, for anyone who hasn't seen it, even though most people probably have, Forrest Gump is kind of like just a simple dude. He loves his mom. He's sitting on a bench, and he starts telling people the story of his life. And he just has had the most amazing interactions with um, everyone. Like, what, he meets, like, JFK. He meets the president. He goes to play college football. Um, but it has all these scenes of Forrest Gump getting put into historical events and scenes. Um, and that's kind of what I played off for my, for my pitch, but he also falls in love with a girl named Jenny. She's kind of mean to him. And at the end, you know, he has a kid uh, with her. 
right? Spoiler alert for Forrest Gump after I say that. Yeah. Anything well, else you want to add about the – yeah. Anything you want to add to, like, the Forrest Gump? I feel like most not, people have seen that one. If you haven't seen Forrest Gump, you're not listening to this, so. That's that's fair. Um, okay, so I was stumbling around on my rules, and I thought, you know what's a good idea? Let's make Forrest Gump a Disney animated animal movie. All right. So I need an animal that can run Forrest Run. So my Forrest Gump is going to be an antelope, and he's going to be played by Colin Hanks, son of Tom Hanks. Um, My Mama Gump is also obviously an antelope, and that's going to be played by Meg Ryan because she has a bunch of history with Tom Hanks, and I like the connections there. She was in Sleepless in Seattle, and You've Got Mail, and like four probably other movies with him. Joe versus the Volcano. Uh, Yep, Joe versus the Volcano. You know that one just because of the name Joe. Um, Jenny, uh, I need someone kind of sly, someone kind of sneaky. So she's going to be a fox, and she's going to be Kristen Bell, uh, who does the uh, the main voice in Frozen. Um, and so she has history doing that with, with Disney. My Lieutenant Dan, he's going to be a cheetah because uh, he ends up losing his legs. So I thought that was actually kind of funny. And John Malkovich is going to voice uh, Lieutenant Dan. Um, Bubba. He is going to be a pelican because pelicans like to eat shrimp. And that's going to be played by John Boyega uh, from the new Star Wars movies. Um, And then my director, I wanted just a good Disney director. So Ron Clements did Princess and the Frog. He did Moana. He did Treasure Planet. Um, But he's done a lot of good uh, Disney movies. So he's going to be direct. And here's my pitch. So Forrest Gump is a a simple-minded and kind-hearted antelope raised by his caring mother. Uh, When he's young, he meets a fox named Jenny, and she teaches him to run from bullies and predators. Um, Forrest has one of the most eventful lives uh, in history, meeting and interacting with very famous Disney characters. So, for example, instead of him going into other historical events, he's going to jump into uh, he gets swallowed by Monstro the whale and helps Pinocchio escape. He becomes a cook, and then he serves the spaghetti to the lady in the tramp. He meets Bambi and Thumper on their adventure. Uh, he was in the stampede that trampled Mufasa. Um, and he also meets Bagheera and the, the Black Panthers uh, that Jenny joins. Um, so you have a similar type fun Disney movie, but he has he's a character that is telling his story. And he interacted with all these famous Disney scenes. Um, but then he has the same love story with Jenny. And at the end, finds out um, she has a kid, but we're not going to introduce AIDS into a Disney movie. So we're going to get that aspect out of it. We're going to give it more of a, of a happy ending. Um, But obviously his mom dies because it's a Disney movie. So you have that aspect of it as well. Um, But that's, that's my pitch. I have a quick follow up on that. Yeah. Um, As far as tone goes. So, you know, it is a, since it is a Disney movie, Lieutenant Dan, the cheetah, is he still going to lose his legs? Yeah, they're going to go to war. He's going to lose his legs, but it's not going to be bloody. <laughs> he's going to lose his legs, and he's going to get carried around by antelope uh, Colin Hanks. Also, all the animals like in Zootopia are going to be like on two legs. It's not like they're all four-legged weird okay. things. So they're anthropomorphic animals, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the word I was looking for. Yep. And I said it wrong, but I got the point across. <laughs> yeah, no. We it worked out. All, right. all right, Joe, let's hear your forest. Go. Very interesting pitch. Let's hear yours, Joe. All right. Well, that's not what I did at all. So <laughs> my fourth I didn't gump, expect you to. <laughs> my fourth gump is played by Jessica Gordon-Levitt, 
and my Lieutenant Dan, I'm just going to get into my role now. I wanted to revitalize a career, and I thought there was someone in the past who was offered a role in the original Forrest Gump, and they turned it down, and they considered it one of the biggest mistakes of their career. And I am revitalizing the film career of Dave Chappelle as Lieutenant Dan. My Jenny is played by Zoe. Dave Chappelle has been started in the movie since 2002. I guess movie career. He's probably bigger now than he ever was with his Netflix specials. But anyway. Yeah. I texted you when we were deciding this. Hey, Eminem count. And you said Eminem would count. And I said, all right. That's fair. Because I didn't want to say Chappelle. So anyways, my lieutenant hand is. Okay. So my Lieutenant Dan is Dave Chappelle. My Jenny is Zoe Kravitz from Mad Max Free Road. She was Lita Lestrange in Fantastic Beasts, and she's going to be Catwoman in the new uh, Batman movie. My Bubba is O'Shea Jackson Jr., who is, uh, played his dad in Straight Outta Compton. Uh, he was in Godzilla, King of Monsters. And the reason I cast him is his dad, Ice Cube, was offered the role of Bubba, and he turned it down because he said playing and then my Mrs. Gump is Jennifer Connelly from Rocketeer, A Beautiful Mind, and Requiem for a Dream. Now, my Forrest Gump was born in 1983 in New York City, and the movie covers the years after the original release. And so it's kind of a lot of the same concept, but recovering from like 1920. Another change I'm making is instead of my Forrest being freaking fast, he's freaking, uh, due to a birth defect, he has to wear a back brace as a young child. Now, a burglar breaks into young Forrest's childhood apartment and accidentally knocks over a Lego set he was working on. Forrest is enraged and beats up the burgu- burglar, breaking his own back brace in the pro- process. Instead of Jenny's dad being all molesty, he's the coke dealer that lives in the same apartment <laughs> building as Forrest. <laughs> when Forrest and Jenny are 14... Uh, <laughs> when Forrest and Jenny are 14, their school goes on a trip to the White House. Forrest, looking for the bathroom, breaks away from the class. He accidentally sees Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton getting down and asks the reporter if he's doing a story on the gla- class tour. <laughs> so you got rid of the other the molesty. Yeah, but you well, put that in there. That's, that, technically, that's not molesty. So yeah. That's mutual. That's <laughs> definitely not yeah. that mutual. That's called definitely sexual harassment. Yeah. It is what it is. Four years later, Forrest, <laughs> an 18-year-old high school senior, oversleeps for school and is running as fast as he can uh, when he sees a plane hit the World Trade Center where his mom works. He realizes she needs his help, and he runs up the tower. He never finds his mom, but he carries multiple people down to safety. His mother's body's never recovered. Uh, uh, and in simpleton ways, when he hears the people responsible called the, were called the Taliban, he signs up to fight in the war. He's reminded of the burglar who damaged, who showed up and damaged his Lego set and equates it with the people who destroyed the Twin Towers and killed his mom. During the war, he befriends a fellow soldier named Bubba. Now, my Bubba is very different. Uh, he's still from New Orleans. However, he's not autistic. He's just a regular soldier who is annoyed by Forrest. Because they sat next to each other on the bus to basic training, Forrest assumes they're best friends because that's how he and Jack became best friends. It's not until Bubba is shot and dying and Forrest goes to rescue Bubba under heavy fire that Bubba says in a big emotional moment that Forrest is the best friend he ever had. Bubba dies in Forrest's arms. During the war, we are also introduced to Lieutenant Dan, Forrest and Bubba's commanding officer. Lieutenant Dan takes an interest in Forrest, but is annoyed with him as everyone else is. Bubba was going to be a shrimp boat captain and when he got out of the army. Forrest says he's going to do the same to honor his friend, and Lieutenant Dan tells Forrest if he becomes a shrimp boat captain, he will be his first mate. 
Later on, Lieutenant Dan gets shot in the back and is paralyzed. As Forrest drags him to safety, he is shot in the thigh. Forrest is discharged from the army, and he heads to New Orleans after being in the military for three years to become a ship boat captain. Forrest uses his mom's life insurance money and the money he made from the military to buy a shrimp boat. He messages Lieutenant Dan, and he shows up to be his first mate. Uh, since the two don't really know what they're doing, they drift far out into sea and get lost when they are drift for two weeks. Uh, when they return, they see Hurricane Katrina has wiped out all of New Orleans and every other shrimp boat. The two make a lot of money since there's no competition, but they send half of the money to Bubba's family, and they send part to Katrina Relief. Uh, Forrest also becomes a vine famous while working on a shrimp boat for his ability to lift heavy things, and he finds Jenny while she's cleaning up New Orleans. Jenny pops in and out of Forrest's life for the next few years. They meet again at Obama's inauguration in 2008. Jenny contacts Forrest when she sees footage of him running in the Boston Marathon during the bombing. He even gets a small background role in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Uh, Forrest is working in D.C. when he sees Jenny protesting during the Trump inauguration, and that's where they meet and fuck for the first time. Four years la- later, Jenny <laughs> wow, really just went all in. Yeah, on that went one. all out on that one. <laughs> <laughs> four, years, four years later, Jenny contacts Forrest. She says they have a son and introduces him to Forrest Jr. They live at Forrest's large New Orleans mansion. When Jenny gets sick, she has caught coronavirus, which eventually kills her. Forrest is left alone to raise his son. And also, I don't think I ever said who my director is. My director is Peter Berg because he's his best movies are when they revolve around real life events. And I thought, what better movie for him to direct than one that pops in and out of a bunch of real life events? What is what does he direct? Lone Survivor, uh, uh, Deepwater uh, Horizon, Patriots Day. Yeah. And you didn't cast Marky Mark. It's the only guy he works he, with. Yeah, but he's too old now to play Forrest Gump. And that's my pitch. For- Forrest Gump is ageless. Also, um, I want to throw in that my Forrest and Jenny totally fuck in my movie too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to keep them telling. Yeah, I want to. I want to. That's how kids are made. So. Yeah. Um, so before we get into this, because I feel like we, I, I I've kind of cut in on these without you two kind of interjecting. Do you guys have any questions or rebuttals about each other's pitches uh, to kind of help me out? I, I mean, I get Joe's idea of just modernizing Forrest Gump, but I don't feel like it's really any different than the original one so i would but never be interested in seeing it it's just modern references but i'd rather have the old one because it's the same thing you yours know, just but... feels like some kind of like direct to dvd thing of like hey check out all these other movies we made it feels more like an advertisement for other disney movies than a disney movie and what's more disney movie than that that's like the most yeah, disney like, thing not that anyone and wants at the, to watch and at that. the end and at the end forrest goes oh and i bought stock in this small little fruit company lululemon <laughs> and then that becomes a big brand. There's my added joke to to so, my to my movie. So uh, instead of it being an ad- advertisement, what I thought of right away and what I kind of loved is Johnny's pitch is basically the Avengers Endgame of Disney, mm-hmm. where you're jumping in and out of all these things. And I kind of think that would be really fun. Um, as far as I mean, cast for you know the animated movies, the voices are fine. Um, I think I, I liked Joe's cast for live. live his, his was more inspired. Though. Right. It was more inspired it, casting, but honestly, with the way that it was tough to cast voices. Right. Yeah, it, it, when when we get to mine, mine is whatever for voice cast. Yeah. <laughs> I almost but, didn't cast it. I'm all, I was almost like, these are their animals. Boy, cast doesn't. Fucking yeah. Matter. Oh yeah. Um, but I was way more entertained and would really like to actually see Johnny's movie. And I feel like Joe's, I would rather rewatch the original Forrest Gump because it sounds way too similar. Um, so it kind of, the, the, what won you the point for, uh, 
for Goonies kind of lost you it here where the, the movies are very similar, um, but moder- modernized. I just feel like with Forrest Gump, that creates a little bit more of a boring movie to me rather than uh, a Disney crazy movie. The, the, the thing that does throw me off is the tone uh, tone of that for a Disney movie of, you know, Lieutenant Dan as a cheetah losing his legs. But uh, every that, character how dies. Do they go to war? That's yeah. what I want to know. I, I feel uh, like the I, same way they do in Forrest Gump. He decides, hey, join the army. So then he goes there, and then it's an animal army, and they're, uh, I don't know, in Vietnam, getting attacked by, by like, I don't know, what's like a Vietnamese animal? Lemurs? I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> I don't know if those live. It's probably way. Oh yeah, those are like definitely not Vietnam. <laughs> well, I'm definitely not trying this, but we're uh, we're all tied up here. All right. Heck yeah. Two All right, two. so uh, I'm glad on that. I had no idea how to do that rule, and I just thought of the Disney things and worked backwards. I was like, you know what? I can have him jump in and out of movies because that's kind of the point of Forrest Gump, but I can change that up. Because um, otherwise I was like, what the, the hell do you do with that? All right, Joe, what do we got next? All right, well, it's time we go up in the air. To with George Clooney? That's what I'm picking mostly because I need a break. Too much goddamn reading. Too much reading. No, yeah. Con Air. I'm going up in the air with really Con Air. I'm so. trying to make like right. this, this one. I we better have the same pitch for this. I need one, a okay? break. This is this yeah. is the one I was going to say. We have to have the same rule. Make this the same rule as me. I, I know what I would pick, and it would be really funny if you two. Okay. Go. We we made it. Uh, I'll go first. Basically, Conair, uh, Nicholas Cage is like a special forces soldier. I think Cameron Poe, some baby. kind of yeah, yeah, as Cameron Poe, Navy and he's SEAL, ho- home from war. Yeah, something. He's home from war, uh, visiting his wife for the first time, and he gets in a bar fight because these guys like start accosting his wife, and he beats them up, and one of them dies. And well, because so he gets sold, to because because hillbillies in Alabama say. He's a pussy for being a soldier. <laughs> that was always the yeah. thing that I never made sense God. to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he beats them up and one of them dies. And because he's a trained soldier, he gets uh, convicted with like assault with a deadly weapon because apparently his hands are deadly weapons. And so he's in prison for four or five years. And now it's time for him to go home. And he's on a big prison transfer. Well, apparently, a prisoner by the name of Cyrus the Virus, played by John Malkovich, is planning to break out of prison with his friends on the same plane that Nicolas Cage is being transferred on. And Nicolas Cage it has to stop them. And they they, they crash land in, on the Las Vegas Strip, and that's that's the plot of Con Air. Anything else? I think no, that's, that's pretty much it. You have a bunch of you have a bunch of wild like yeah. criminals on the plane, and mm-hmm. they're all, all right. fun characters. I will say Cyrus the Virus is one of the best movie villain names of all time. Oh, for yeah, because sure. you say of the him say someone starts saying Cy, and then he goes Anara and kills them uh-huh. because yeah. nothing is more realistic dialogue than that. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'll just start. My director is Michael Bay because everyone assumes he directed the first one. So I'm just going to d- let him direct the reboot, even yeah. though he didn't direct the first one. Yeah, and it was, I'm not uh, even going to his friend. Yeah, I'm not even going to tell you what my twist is or my rule is. You'll see as I run down the cast. So it's so a my... twist. He said no. cat. So I think I know. I know. <laughs> I, my Cameron Poe, I needed someone that could play that. 
I I just needed someone out of this group of people I feel like could play Cameron Poe, and my Cameron Poe is Kevin James. My Vince Larkin, <laughs> who was originally played by John Cusack, is now played by radio host Dan Patrick. My Trisha Poe, originally played by Monica Potter, is now played by Maria Bello. My Sally Bishop, who is a guard on the plane, is now played by Selma Hayek. My Cyrus the Virus is now Adam Sandler. My baby O, who was uh, originally played by Michael T. Williamson and who was Cameron Post's friend and he suffers from diabetes, is now played by Tim Meadows. My Billy Bedlam, who is Cyrus the Virus, is like number two, is now played by Colin Quinn. My Sally Can't Dance, who was like a gay or maybe transgender prisoner, is now played by David Spade. Uh, uh, My Pinball who was originally played by Dave Chappelle, who was like this high-strung prisoner, is now played by Chris Rock. My Johnny 23, who was named that because he has 23 confirmed rapes, was originally played by Danny Trejo, is now played by Rob Schneider. My Swamp Thing, who was originally played by MC Ganey, is now played by Blake Clark, uh, who was like Drew Barrymore's dad in uh, 51st Dates. He was Chet Hunter in Boy Meets World. And I couldn't think of anyone better to replace Steve Buscemi as Garland Green than Steve Buscemi himself. He's coming back to play Garland Green. And here's my pitch. Adam Sandler and his friends love vacation movies. Well, what is a better vacation than a shot-for-shot remake of a 90s action classic with improv jokes included, of course. Did you say shot-for-shot remake? I missed that one. (laughs) It's a shot-for-shot remake. That's my pitch. A shot-for-shot remake with Adam Sandler and his friends improving jokes with Michael Bay directing. (laughs) <laughs> well, I debated doing on my movie that's uh I kind of love is not the same rule, but I was gonna that do a shot for shot remake with Adam Sandler. That is the rule I was thinking of was Joe's. That was the rule for this you were yeah, thinking of? I thought of for this. Okay, you guys went a whole different way. Okay. I thought this was kind of fun, like face off was you have you have a fun action premise, but it's a corny nineties movie. So I'm gonna I'm gonna update it and make it and make it a more exciting action movie. So I'm gonna get into my cast and go over my pitch. So my Cameron Poe. I need someone just like Nicolas Cage, who's very bad at southern accents. So I picked Keanu Reeves. So he can do the action, he can do the fights, and he's got a weird accent when he tries to do that. Um my Cyrus the Virus is going to be played by Charlotte Copley uh, from District 9 and the shitty remake of Old Boy. Um, that was originally, obviously, John Malkovich. Uh, my Garland Green, originally Steve Buscemi in a Joe's movie, still Steve Buscemi, is going to be played by creepo Jackie Earl Haley. He's good at playing characters like that. Um, my Vince Larkin, which is my John Cusack, that's going to be uh, Mark Ruffalo. Um, my pinball which is dave chappelle that's going to be played i need another i wanted to just kind of do an homage to dave chappelle uh, dave chappelle so i did hannibal burris he's i feel like the big um like black comedian right now who's super funny um but can also do some some acting he was in neighbors uh as the cop and he's been in some a few movies um and then my johnny 23 is uh john leguizamo again a kind of creepy dude uh who can be believable as like a rapey prisoner. Um, and my director, now this uh, this one is where it gets interesting. My movie and my rule, I'm making it con space. We're throwing con air into space. It's going to be on a spaceship. I want someone who has done good action with space movies 
but needs a huge reboot to his career. And I don't want any more original ideas by him. So Neil Blomkamp, he's going to be my director. He did District 9, he did Elysium, and he did that shitty Chappie movie. Um, but he needs to revitalize his career. Uh, so I'm giving him a big space action movie uh, with a you know baseline to work with. So here's my pitch. So the year is 2075. Cameron Poe has been in a Mars prison for involuntary, involuntary manslaughter for the past eight years. U.S. Space Force Marshal Vince Larkin has designed a spaceship uh, to bring a group of convicts back to Earth to be executed. Most of the prisoners are, are set to receive the death penalty back on Earth, but Cameron Poe is set to be released back to his wife and daughter, uh, who he's never met. The mission, it's daughter, he's definitely met his wife. Uh, the mission goes to hell when the convicts, led by Cyrus the Virus, commandeer the ship and plan to land the ship on Earth and escape. Cameron Poe must fight his way back home through the spaceship and uh, defeating all the criminals on his way back uh, by taking out all the convicts. So my movie is Con Air, but it's on a spaceship and you make it a little more interesting and you make it a more serious toned action movie, District 9 style action um, with uh, Keanu Reeves having more like John Wick fight scenes. So that's my pitch for my uh, Con Air, Con Space. Uh, any rebuttal from Joe? Yeah, why why do I want to see more Neil Blomkamp movies? He's done. It's a wrap. I've, he he had he was a one hit wonder. You you guaranteed your movies trash. At least I'm like my movie's interesting because it's like an experiment. Your movie your movie you just, you can say that your movie's interesting, but like telling me hey I'm gonna do a shot for shot remake of Psycho with Vince Vaughn, I'd be like oh that would be really interesting, and then you actually see it and it's complete trash. Like, I know Con Air is not psycho, but doing a shot-for-shot shot remake with different actors is not interesting. Just watch the original one, because then you have the fun characters. Like, instead you instead of freaking Nicolas Cage in a mullet, you're going to put Mall Cop? You're going to put Paul Blart as that role? That sounds terrible. Yeah. Neil Blomkamp, I think he's a, good, he's a good action director, and he needs to just get a movie that he doesn't write that's not his own idea. District 9 was his one-hit wonder in terms of making his own vision. He's not this visionary, but I think if he takes a story that's just a remake and makes it a cool action space movie, like Elysium, the worst part of that movie is the story, but all of the action in it is really cool. So I'm going to write the story, and we're going to give him the directing. He's going to do the action, um, and, and I like my, my cast. Yeah, so, so yeah, as I, was, as I was hearing Joe's, I thought he won the point because, like I said, one, that was – that's that's the uh, the rule I would have used there. I think this is a perfect movie to use the grown ups cast. Why? But, you guys have not seen big, Con Air. Yeah, oh, I love Con Air, but it's a big dumb action movie that into a more of a kind of comedic tone. Well, but, that's my thing. If Joe was doing, I would have been more interested in yours, Joe, if you didn't make it shot for shot. Like if you just said, "I'm going to put the cast and make it a funnier movie." with these guys, you know, then right. I'd be more interested. So un- unpopular opinion. I actually really like the longest yard with the Adam Sandler crew in there. Yeah. And that was a good kind of change of tone. And that's the whole thing is you, I think won your rule. I like your, your rule worked for that movie, but your pitch of making it shot for shot, that really killed it for me. Cause the first thing that I did think of is psycho that psycho remake with yeah. Vince Vaughn. Johnny's, even though it kind of sounds like a basic action movie, I agree with the fact that I would like to see Neil Blomkamp direct something that's not his own vision. 
I've been saying that for a long time and I really do like his visual style and his actual directing, but I really don't need to see Chappie or Elysium story-wise again. So, um, so yeah, the space, sure. It sounds fun. sounds like a fun, dumb action movie. And that's kind of what I want from Con Air. So I'm going to give that one to Johnny. Yeah, baby. All right. All right. Let me, uh, update. Was that two points in a row? That's, that's the first time we've had that. First time. Didn't go back and forth. All right, so Joe's got to pick one he's feeling confident about. All right. I just don't like reading. I'm definitely going to write short. Just you just, time. yeah, I feel like with your pitches, you know, it's only our first, like, real episode of this, so we kind of did our test and then this, but yeah. for my like, pitches, I tried to yeah. do, like, if it's if it's something similar to the story of the old movie, like The Goonies, I tried not to write, like, a whole script. But yeah. I think that helped your pitch for the Goonies. Like, in the movies that are way different, I think that helps it. Sometimes. I agree. Yeah. But, like, your Forrest Gump, I thought, I thought... You give the plot line off the top already for the original movie. So if you're if you're keeping it relatively the same, you can just yeah. say what's well, different. Yeah. Even if you want to do yeah. that time, if you have, right. you know, want to change it up. All right, so All right. Joe, give me Well, I know what I'm going to do. We're going to go... We went from Prison in the Air. We're going to go to Prison in the Ground. We're going to Shawshank Redemption. I was like, what the hell are you even referring to? <laughs> I forgot about Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. All right, so you. who's who's going first? Who's uh who's second? I'll I'll go first. So basically Shawshank Redemption, uh guy it gets super drunk uh and he doesn't remember what happens after. All he knows is he's accused of killing his wife, but he doesn't remember if he does it or not. He goes to prison, meets a guy named Red. They become friends, and Red is really good at getting stuff in, pr- into the prison. One of the things he asks for is a hammer. Eventually, this kid named Billy shows up, and he tells him, hey, like I was in prison, and this other guy told me he killed an accountant's wife, and the main character is an accountant. And it turns out he realizes he didn't kill his wife, and he's been doing a lot of work for the warden as an accountant, a lot of illegal stuff, and he even made a fake name, fake ID, you know, fake social security number. Well, he takes all this information, uses his uh, little rock hammer, claws out of prison, and takes that ID and moves to, like, Mexico or South America or something, and he's free and spends the rest of his life free. And he sends a letter to Red, his friend, and Red eventually gets out the legal way through whatever legal means. And, join, and the movie ends with him joining him in South America. Everybody's free. If you haven't seen Shawshank Redemption, you're not listening to this. So, my pitch. I decided to make Shawshank Redemption an animated animal movie. Oh uh, my, my director, god. My directors are Aaron Blaise and Robert Walker, who you probably haven't heard of because I never heard of them either. But they directed <laughs> one of the most underrated animated movies of all time, Brother Bear. Uh, my is a chimpanzee voiced by Chris Evans. My red is a red wolf voiced by Denzel Washington. My warden Norton is a lion voiced by Billy Bob Thornton. My captain Hadley is a tiger voiced by Josh Lucas, who is in Ford versus Ferrari, Sweet Home Alabama, Glory Road. Uh, my Billy is a bear cub voiced by Sean Mendes. You know, it's an animated movie. They always have that teen heartthrob in there. And then my Brooks is a giant tortoise voiced by Clint Eastwood. And so I did change quite a bit for this movie. 
After being accused of attacking his owner, Andy, a chimpanzee is sent to the Shawshank Zoo for injured and dangerous animals in Southern California. The zoo is not reputable and looks more like a Tiger King type zoo. Uh, There he sees that when the zoo closes, the animals take over, led by Norton the lion and his right-hand man, Hadley the tiger. Eventually he meets Red, uh, who is friends with most all the other animals and soon becomes best friends with Andy. Red can get anything into the zoo. He also meets an old giant tortoise named Brooks, who has a broken leg, which has taken a long time to heal. We learn Red is prone to attacking humans, according to Red himself. He said, once you get put in a cage... You're condemned to die in a cage. It's just to die and then Shawshank. Andy, uh, fearing for his life from the other animals, starts doing jobs for Norton. Uh, he's recruited because he's more nimble as a chimp, and Andy gets his friend's job working for Norton as well. Eventually, Billy, a bear cub, comes to the zoo. Andy teaches him about zoo life and how to avoid Norton and Hadley. Billy finds out why Andy is in prison and tells Norton our zoo. And tells- Norton asks Billy if he's told anyone else. Billy says no. Norton has Hadley attack and kill Billy. Brooks the tortoise is sold to a petting zoo when his leg is finally healed. After a while, a messenger pigeon arrives in Shawshank. Now, my version of messenger pigeons is they don't have letters on their legs. They just, like, fly in, and they're like, hey, like, here's the thing somebody told me to tell you. Uh, Messenger pigeon tells Red and Andy that Brooks hates the petting zoo. He says people are trying to touch him all the time. He just wants to go back to Shawshank where life was more peaceful. Eventually, Andy does escape using items he has requested from Red and items acquired from Norton. Norton is pissed and locks down Shawshank and stops animals from going into other cages at night. This angers the other animals who attack and kill Norton and Hadley. Red decides he is ready to leave Shawshank after a messenger pigeon arrives in his cage and tells him Andy is on a beach near a place called Tijuana. Red stops snarling at the handlers when they enter his cage. After a while, they decide he isn't a danger anymore and send him to a regular zoo. During the transfer, Red bites one of the handlers and runs off into the distance. We eventually see Red meet Andy on a beach. And that's my pitch for animated Shawshank. Okay. Joe, you're, I don't know um, how it sounds on yours and hopefully it comes through better with the audio, but on ours, you're, it's cutting in and out. So like you did that whole pitch, but I heard maybe half of it. All right. Yeah. I I think I caught. Basically it's an animal. Yeah. For a while it was kind of jumping through. Um, I, I have. I have some questions yeah, on. You guys are trying to cut out on mine as well. Okay. I have some yeah, hopefully, when I record it, it'll be it'll be a little better. Yeah. But let's see what Johnny's pitch is. All right. So, Shawshank Redemption, one of the greatest movies ever made. Joe's favorite movie ever made. On his, you know, it's his number one. I feel like there's. Uh, only real things you can do to it is kind of change up a little things, add maybe political commentary that it doesn't have. So I'm recasting Andy Dufresne as Lakeith Stanfield. Um, so it's going to be a young black man wrongfully imprisoned. Um, Lakeith Stanfield was in Sorry to Bother You and Get Out. Um, he's like one of the best working actors right now. And my red, I, uh, I want to go with someone who is just kind of a likable character. He's done a prison movie before. So my red is going to be Eddie Murphy. Um, 
my Boggs. Uh, he's the leader of the, the Sisters Gang. That's going to be played by Dan Stevens, who was in The Guest, um, and he was in the live-action Beauty and the Beast. Uh, my Captain, Byron Hadley, is going to be Timothy Oliphant. Uh, he was the villain in Die Hard 4, and he was in Justify. My Warden Norton, I need kind of a despicable bad guy, someone who's done that before. Uh, so I want James Spader, who was Ultron. He was in the Blacklist show. And my director, I want to go with someone who has done a movie before, can kind of go into commentary on race in America, because that's really the only way I felt like updating the Shawshank is adding some of that commentary. Um, so I went with Boots Riley, who did that well in Sorry to Bother You. That's his only real movie he's directed, but it was a great debut. So now I'm giving him a bigger movie. Um, I'll go into my rule once we once I get into my pitch. It will be revealed. Um, so Andy Dufresne is wrongfully imprisoned for the murder of his wife and her lover. Uh, while in prison, he befriends a red who's known for getting people what they need. Andy gets a rock hammer and a poster. Uh, one night, Andy is brutally assaulted by the sisters gang and their leader, Boggs. But after that, things start to turn around. Uh, Andy shows that the prisoners and the warden, he can be their banker because uh, that was his job. So they start to be on his side and they beat up uh, the main guy. Um, Byron Hadley beats up uh, Boggs uh, and cripples him. Um, I'll make it back to my pitch. Uh, the rest of the movie plays out more hopeful for Andy. He becomes the banker for the warden of the guards. He discovers a story from a man in prison proving his innocence and he finally escapes using his rock hammer after years and years of slowly digging through his wall. Uh, he meets up with Red on an island that they talked about earlier in the movie once Red is released. And then he turns to Red and says, you know, this all feels too good to be true. And Red responds with, well, Andy, that's because it is. And the film cuts to Andy lying on the prison floor dying after the assault by the sisters gang earlier in the film. The happy ending was all in Andy's mind moments before passing on. So, boom, I made it a Jacob's Ladder movie. I don't know what that says at all. Yeah, me either. All a Dream, is that what you wrote? So, yeah, so I, I did, um, in the private chat, I don't know if you saw it, I said, I think it's a twist. I'm going to write down what I think it is. Oh, um, okay. I have it cut off on my I screen. I wrote about a minute ago that it, it was all a dream. <laughs> Which is, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think I know. I think I know you a little well, and also um, that fits in with Boots Riley a little bit as far as like the tone of that movie. But, but yeah, that's a good pitch. It is a good pitch. I just kind of thought I knew where it was going. Oh yeah, well, you kind of had to with the rules too implied. But oh, yeah. yeah, again, uh, with with Joe's movie, Shawshank's such a great movie, and he, I like the idea that they're in a zoo instead of a prison. But that felt like the only thing that was kind of inspired on on yours but i i think updating it to be a black man is wrongfully imprisoned and at least throwing in some social commentary about you know wrongfully imprisoned black people all over the, the country i think is like the only way you can really go with this and i don't think that story deserves like a happy ending so that's why that's why i added my my twist so as far as our movies, I'd rather see mine, but I, I do like the idea of yours being in a zoo. I was like, why the hell would you cast this as an animal movie? But then you said zoo, and I was like, all right, I could see yeah, that. I, I really did like that. Joe, I have a question on yours, because you kept a lot of you know people getting killed and some some kind of tough tones for the zoo. Is this is this a straight-up Disney animated movie, or is this a little more adult? Or I just want to kind of get... I would say it's more adult. 
more adult. I think it's more adult. My thing with Johnny is he said he'd rather see that movie, and it's like, yeah, just go watch Just Mercy. They have it free on fucking like all the other like streaming apps right now, or at least they did. Like, I feel like I've seen at least that movie before of like the black man like wrongfully in prison yeah. movie before. Yeah, well, I've seen Madagascar. <laughs> yeah, but that's different. <laughs> <all right? laughs> it's it's about animals escaping a zoo. It's yeah. literally the same movie, but just instead of a long pitch, like they get out of prison real quick and then they're on a fun island like if yeah. i'm gonna see animals so escape or be in a zoo it's gonna be it's gonna be madagascar not your movie so so this is one of the tougher ones for me but for a different reason because i think shawshank redemption is one of the toughest movies to actually recast and remake because it you got that right it's pitch perfect yep. that is to me i love that movie um man so this is kind of which do i like better in a situation where I'd re- I don't know if I would really want to see either of these versions, um, just because the first one is so perfect. Uh, Joe, I really love the concept of them in a zoo, but I don't think you changed enough of the story to make it fit the animated setting. I feel like you're just telling Shawshank Redemption um, in a zoo for the most part. Um, yeah. So that kind of kind of. Did he cut out on yours? Yeah, I can't hear him. Did he freeze? Yeah, he freeze. Can you hear us, Bobby? Yeah. Can you... Joe, just a question. Yeah. Can you can you do edits on this? I mean... Like when we do the podcast? Because like, we might have to exit out and come back in because it's freezing. Can you hear me? I'm back on my end. You're back. Right, okay, yeah, we can, can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Right, yeah, that's fun. So all I was saying is, um, uh, now I can't hear him again. He, he froze again. Or we're gonna have to leave and do a new host, a new one. Yeah, that's fine. I'll just call like one part one and one part two, and then on the podcast I can uh, edit them together and put it. Okay, that works. All right, two, just but... send send new links. Okay, uh, I'll yeah. be right back all then right. too. All right, everyone, thanks for joining us on the second part of this episode. Sorry for the technical problems. Uh, We're just waiting on Bobby now to make his ruling and make any comments he has to make. Yeah, you uh, gave me a little more time to think on one of the harder harder judgments here. Because really, and I know you have to put a rule in it, um, but Johnny's twist really did hinder his because I really loved his pitch. But the problem is, I don't know if I would be interested at all in an animated version, animated version of the movie the way that Joe pitched it. So, I think even though Johnny lost the rule, I think he won the cast and the plot because of the social importance of what it would do, and it would at least be a talking point and a relevant movie today. Whereas I feel like the animated version would kind of be glossed over. So, I'm going to give that to Johnny and. Uh, that kind of puts Joe in a tough spot here. Yeah, Johnny's got a 4-2 lead. So it makes it my choice again, and I think I know where I'm going to go. And I'm going to go with the movie that was hardest for me to do, and I'm hoping it was the hardest for Johnny to do. 
because the movie's so good, and I'm going to go with uh, 2011's Warrior. All right, this, this, could go, this could go. This could go either way. Um, you right. wanna, are you so, going first, or am I going first? Yeah, yeah, I'll go first. So, Warrior is uh, directed by Gavin O'Connor, I believe. Stars Joel Edgerton as a high school science teacher, former UFC fighter, uh, and it's Tom Hardy, who was like a college and high school wrestling superstar, who is destined for greatness, but he decides to join the army instead. Uh, Joel Edgerton is losing his house and he decides to go back to fighting against his wife's wishes and he's going to enter this big Spartan tournament a tournament designed to find like the greatest fighter in the world and th- with a prize money he hopes to get it like get enough money to pay for his house and then Tom Hardy the wrestling superstar goes to this uh, gym and just knocks like the top fighter out in a sparring session. And there's a video of it. It goes viral. And because of that, he gets an invitation to the Spartan tournament. And it turns out these two guys are brothers. Uh, Their dad is an alcoholic played by Nick Nolte. And he just yells about Moby Dick throughout the whole movie. And of course the movie ends with a tournament of the two brothers facing off against each other. One is like a knockout artist who's been winning his fights in like 10 seconds the other is a submission technical fighter who submits his fighters or submits his opponents and it ends with joel edgerton submitting his brother who has a broken arm and he gets enough money to pay for his house does anyone else have anything to add it's a great movie yeah see it one, of my, it one of my favorites the last 10 years yeah. i love it all right, all right. All right, so uh, my director for my rebooted version is, well, I have two directors, Tyler Nelson and Michael Schwartz, who were the writer-director of Peanut Butter Falcon. Uh, my Brendan, who was originally played by Joel Edgerton, is now played by David Diggs, who is the star of Blind Spotting, and he was in Hamilton. Uh, my Tommy, great, by the way, you guys don't, haven't seen it. Yeah. Hamilton yet. or Blind Spotting? Well, both. Hamilton or I Blind Spotting? Both, but I did just watch Hamilton, and David Diggs is one of the okay. best parts of it, and it actually is a really good musical. I haven't seen it. I've only seen Blind Spotting, but and then Tommy, who was originally played by Tom Hardy, is now played by Henry Cavill, who is basically the new Superman. Well, I guess since 2013, Superman. And my Patty Conlon, originally played by Nick Nolte, is now played by Ron Perlman, who was Hellboy, and he was in Sons of Anarchy. Uh, my Frank Campana, who was originally Frank Grillo, is now John Leguizamo, who is in John Wick. He was the voice of Sid in Ice Age. He was uh, Luigi in Super Mario Brothers. And my Tess, uh, who is uh, Brendan's wife, is now played by Tessa Thompson of Creed and Thor Ragnarok fame. And so basically mine's very similar to the first one. He's still a UFC, um, Brendan's still a UFC fighter, a current science teacher. Tommy's still a military vet, high school wrestling, all that. However, my version, they're not revealed their brothers until they both get to Atlantic City, uh, where the major fight happens. So you basically both people's individual stories, and you don't see how they're connected until about halfway through or two-thirds of the way through the movie. We find out that Patty Conlon slept with Brendan's mom, but didn't stay to raise the kid, but built a life with Tommy's mom. And so they're not full brothers, but they are half brothers, which explains why one is David Diggs and one is Henry Cavill, who don't necessarily look like full blood brothers. And I, that's partially why I changed the race of Brendan is to like hide that surprise more. 
Um, the, the Spider-Man Homecoming reveal. And it, yeah, and it oh, basically. Yeah, I forgot about that. And, I, and it basically um, builds their animosity towards each other. Is because Patty Conlon's like a drunk. Is like Brendan hates Tommy because Tommy had a dad that Brendan didn't have, and Tommy hates Brendan because he wasn't forced to live with like a shitty alcoholic dad. And then the other major change I'm making is I'm keeping the same level of comedy because there was quite a bit of comedy in the first one, but I'm changing the source of the comedy. In the original, the high school students and the principal were the main source of comedy. In my version, we will have more comedy from Brendan's gym, mainly from a plucky guy trying to make it in fighting and his quiet best friend. That's right, Jay and Silent Bob are in my version. Before the final fight, Brendan is unsure what to do about Tommy, and in classic Silent Bob fashion, he gives a great speech. He talks to him about brotherhood. He talks about how sometimes in life you get to choose your brother, like he and Jay chose each other, but sometimes you don't. But that person is still your brother. The movie ends with Brendan causing Tommy to tap and winning the money he needs to pay for his house. And that is my pitch for Jay and Silent Bob in my version of Warrior. That is good. All right. I'm going to try to really sell this one, all right? So I thought, what's the only way to make Warrior more interesting? That's right. Make it a Tim Burton movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. All right. And uh, I basically got rid of the entire plot, and we're going to go with this pitch. Um, any remake of Warrior would straight up suck without making it crazy. So this entire movie is a Tim Burton-directed movie of a UFC tournament where all of his famous characters fight in a UFC ring. So the contestants are Johnny Depp as Edward Scissorhands, a CGI Martian from Mars Attacks, Tim Roth from Planet of the Apes, Danny DeVito as the Penguin, Paul Rubens as Pee Wee Herman, and Michael Keaton as Beetlejuice. The entire movie is just a tournament of fights to the death, but UFC style, and the victor is Beetlejuice, but then he's disqualified because he is already dead. So that's my whole movie. Um, it's just a Tim Burton movie where his characters fight each other. Like, uh, I don't know. What's that? Like clay fighter show. It's basically oh, uh, that yeah, the celebrity, uh, celebrity death match. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be that, but a Tim Burton movie with his characters. And we're going to call right. it a remake of warrior. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, that's something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we appreciate the attempt, right? If you could, if you couldn't tell, I got down to the wire and did not know what to do for either of those things. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go balls out for my Tim Burton. If you actually had a pitch for the movie that was similar to warrior, I might've been interested in that, (laughs) but yeah, that's just not warrior. Oh, just, 100%. But yeah. there's no way to, there's no reason to remake Warrior. It's tough, tough to repeat. No, so I'm just yeah. like, you know what? I'm just going to take the only idea from Warrior is my movie is a UFC tournament. No, and we're just going to have these people murder each other. I, I will say, though, I love Warrior. <laughs> I love Warrior. It's one of my favorite movies the last 10 years, like I said. But what it does not have that a lot of sports movies do have is a great, Jay and inspired, Bob. Is a great inspiring speech, like Miracle. Yeah. And any given Sunday, so I think that's actually brilliant to put uh, James. I disagree. It's just shorter. I I would say the Frank Campana speech of "If you don't knock him out, you lose your house." That is, is, it's like not a big speech, but that's that's the speech. It's a more it's a more realistic 
the yeah, one. Yeah. But yeah, you kind of introduced Silent uh, Bob to do like the miracle speech, which I yeah. liked. I, I knew I was going to lose as soon as you were doing your pitch. And I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go do mine. But I liked, I liked Joseph. Yeah. I can't also, even I, fight yeah. against it. I, again, like I said, I did just watch Hamilton. Um, and I've been a, kind of obsessed with it. And David Diggs is one of my favorite parts. I mean, blind spotting's great too, but uh, him as especially Thomas Jefferson in the second half is fantastic. So um, along with just the fact that Johnny kind of forced that just to, you know, a little bit, I'm giving that one to Joe. How dare you. All right. I took a lot of time on that one. And I just watched David Diggs in Velvet Buzzsaw, which was not great. I just watched that last night for some reason. I've never yes. heard of it. But he's yeah, good this is the one I was, I was texting you guys where I was like, I have one, and like the rule I have like didn't really change the movie, so I had to add another rule. I'm basically like, okay, what if they didn't realize they were or like didn't talk about them being brothers, or we didn't know they were brothers until later in the movie? Because like just adding Jay and Silent Bob, I'm like, it's still basically Warrior, yeah. and I can no, still that, bring back Tom. That Hardy was another good. That was another good way to kind of. It's like you added a twist without adding a twist because it's the same one as the movie. You just kind of revealed it later on. Um, and I did yeah. really like that like, for sure. I feel like that's if Warrior has a flaw, like I understand your whole speech thing, but I would say if I could improve on Warrior, it'd be the audience not knowing their brothers until later in the movie. Like oh, right. they put that in the trailer that they're brothers. Yeah, no, the the, the speech thing was more of, was mostly a joke, but I just do love I do love a good speech in yeah. a in a yeah. in a sports movie. But that that yeah. was probably the best idea you had in there was to reveal that late. Yeah. All right, John. All right, so what's the what's the score now? I think it's a four three U. Okay, so we have three left. We have Daredevil, we have Super Mario Bros, and we have Wild Wild West. So I have a tough decision to make. You know what? We'll just uh, get into it. I'm going to go to Super Mario Bros because I just really want to hear Joe's pitch. All right, so someone going to explain this because I don't really remember the original. Okay, so there's no reason anyone should know this movie, but the original Super Mario Bros. is nothing like the game. It's two plumbers that are not even brothers in the original movie. They're just like orphans. It's Mario Mario and Luigi Mario. Very dumb movie. Bob Hoskins is kind of funny as Mario, but it's just like this wild dystopian future that hates plumbers. And then they have to save the princess from not even Bowser. It's King, King Koopa, who is just like a wild, maniacal dictator of this crazy world. Oh, and everyone is uh, evolved from dinosaurs. So they yeah. have a machine that devolves people. Oh, yeah. Don't forget, dinosaurs. by the way, that there that um, there's a parallel universe in this movie that was created when the dinosaurs were killed by the asteroid. So one universe is the usual humans... And one is where the dinosaurs and King Koopa live. It's a weird, bizarre movie, and I don't know why I remember that. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting factoid that I've seen this movie and did not know that. Yeah, it's bizarre. But the dinosaurs have like Brooklyn accents, so yeah, it's a very it's a very weird one. And uh, I scrapped a lot of that plot, so I'm going to get into my pitch. I'm going to go first on mine. So you know what I thought? Because you two psychos thought Con Air was a great cast of grown-ups movie. I thought who better to be the Super Mario Brothers than Adam Sandler and David Spade. So my movie, I'm going to get into my cast. Mario is played by Adam Sandler, like I said, and Luigi is David Spade. Donkey Kong is going to be Kevin James. 
Oh, no CGI. It's all live action. So he's just going to have a bunch of hair on him. Um, Toad is going to be Rob Schneider. Um, he's just going to have like a mushroom head. Yoshi, again, paint him green, make him a dinosaur. That's Chris Rock. Uh, King Koopa is Steve Buscemi. Uh, Bowser, another great, not from Grown Ups, but Adam Sandler movie guy. John Lovitz, I need a good, bad guy. He's like a maniacal dude. And he's in The Wedding Singer, Rat Race. Um, Princess Peach is Mario Bello. And Princess Daisy is Selma Hayek. My director is Dennis Duggan, who did Grown Ups and Happy Gilmore. And this is my pitch. Adam Sandler and his buddies are on vacation, and they find a giant green warp pipe in the woods. They decide to leave it alone, but it sucks them in, where they become the characters of Super Mario. The heroes realize the only way to get back to their reality is that they must stop Bowser and the evil dictator King Koopa and rescue the princesses. That's the movie. That's Adam Sandler's Mario. So they get sucked in. Kind of like Jumanji, new Jumanji style space and uh, Space Jam style. And they become the characters in this crazy world and they're dinosaurs. Um, but Kevin James is just like in a gorilla costume because I feel like that'd be funny. And yeah. same with Chris Rock as Yoshi, just like bad costumes. And I picture Mario. It's not like the real Mario suit. It's like a Halloween version costume where it's like that fake big mustache and like the big Mario hat. That's how everyone is going to look in this, in this movie. I, I like that pitch actually, because you really, <laughs> there's really nothing good you can do with that original movie. So you know what? I'll take it. The only good thing you can do with super Mario brothers is animate it, but I wasn't going to make it an animal movie. So I mean, I, but he, he becomes an animal in Mario three, but you know, that's true. And donkey Kong's in it. Yeah. All right, Joe, compete with that. Well, you said there's nothing, you can do nothing with the original version. Well, you're about to be stand corrected. Stand, I don't know. You know what I'm saying. So, was the original set in like a dystopian future? I didn't remember that. But yeah, it's like a dystopian way, mine, world. Oh, well, it's Where they hate world. plumbers. Well, anyways, mine is set 100 years in the future. <laughs> That's the twist I'm using for this. It's the same, and, and it's a shot for shot remake. No. <laughs> that would be my, perfect for this one. <laughs> my director is David Leach of uh, John Wick and Deadpool 2 fame. Oh my, my Mario God. is My Mario That's is great. Peter Dinklage. My Luigi is Joe Manganiello of True Blood and Magic Mike. My Princess <laughs> Daisy is Isa Gonzalez of Baby Driver and Hobson Shaw. And my King Koopa is Gary Oldman. In the year wow. 2120... The world has fallen into chaos. Between multiple pandemics and rising climates, many world governments have fallen. The age of large multi-state nations has ended. Micronations ruled by kings and queens have taken over. Mario and Luigi, two bickering brothers and plumbers, are employed by the king and queen of their nation to maintain the plumbing of the palace. We see that Luigi and, uh, and the king and queen's daughter, Princess Daisy, are friendly and flirtatious with each other. While the brothers are working and talking about how Princess Daisy would never fall for a plumber, King Koopa, the leader of a neighboring nation, uh, storms the castle with his army. They kill the king, the queen, and anybody else they see. The only one they intentionally leave alive is Princess Daisy, who King Koopa kidnaps and wants as his bride. Mario and Luigi witness what happened but aren't seen. The two brothers go to the military and tell them what happened, but they are told that King Koopa is too powerful and that they must assume Princess Daisy is dead as well. 
Luigi tells Mario they have to help Daisy, and Mario agrees. The two plumbers head toward King Koopa's nation, Dino Hatton. On the way, we learn that learn the dinosaur and lizard obsessed King Koopa has spent his reign running genetic experiments. Mario and Luigi also see multiple announcements that Koopa and Daisy's wedding is tomorrow night. They don't have enough time until they until someone they meet gives them two Yoshis that escaped from Dino Hatton. Mario and Luigi ride the Yoshis to Dino Hatton. Uh, once they get to the border, they are stopped by uh, the guards. The two of them realize the only way in is the way they know best, the pipes. Luigi discovers that he doesn't fit, but Mario can't fight the guards. We get a scene of Mario entering a large green pipe sticking out of the ground. Then there's a simultaneous above-ground and underground shot as Mario is running and jumping around the plumbing of Dino Hatton, and Luigi and the two Yoshis are fighting Koopa's army as an homage to the two-player game. The two brothers get to the palace. There they reach the throne room during Koopa and Daisy's wedding. They are stopped by Koopa's guard slash pet, a genetically modified turtle named Bowser. As Luigi fights and distracts Bowser, Mario gets to Daisy and rescues her. As an homage to Mario Kart, the three of them have to fight their way out of the palace and commandeer three carts as they drive out of Dino Hatton. Koopa's guards chase after them in carts as well. Chain chomps attack them. Koopa's guards throw grenades shaped like turtle shells at them. Mario, Luigi, and Daisy get to safety. Daisy kisses Luigi. Mario makes a joke about needing to find someone. And I have a post-credit scene where Daisy approaches Mario and Luigi and says she needs their help because her cousin, Princess Peach, is in trouble. And that's my pitch for Super Mario Brothers. Joe, you put more effort into that pitch than the real movie. Yeah, Yeah. sure. But like wow. all, all for not because what you had in the Adam hell are you running around? Like- no, that actually made sense to me. Yeah, it, exactly. See, and like I feel like the only way to do a live action Mario is to just make it goofy. You made it into a John Wick movie, but with Peter Dinklage. No, I made it into like Deadpool two. It's more Deadpool two yeah. comedy than That's John true. Wick. Right, yeah, it sounded like it, it wasn't just straight up action. That's when you said David Leach, I was worried you were going to say it was this R rated. No, it's more, it leans more like Deadpool first 2 ten minutes, And then Mario has to go, you know, take revenge on, uh, on Bowser or something. Also, Mar- Super Mario takes place in like a fantastical world. So I feel like that's cheating to set that in 100 years in the future. Yeah, you didn't really change anything about the world from the first movie. Yeah, so, except you got rid of the dinosaur evolutions, I guess. Yeah, I just took I all the shittiness out of the first one and just kept the good stuff, which was very little, and then added more good stuff and things they couldn't do. Like, there wasn't Mario Kart back then, so I'm like, oh, let's have an homage to Mario Kart. Yeah, and I actually really like the ending of Peach being, you know, they have to go save Peach at the end and all that because you're, you're, you're ending the movie, but then you're setting up for the sequel, which is a something that a lot of movies don't do. They do one or the other. Yeah, so. very, uh, very bold of you to set that movie up. For also, I mean, that's also the there's also a post credit scene in the original Super Mario Brothers. That's the same oh, thing where Daisy shows up and he's like, "Hey, I need your help." Okay. Well, so my my night picture. So they're in costumes, but they're running around worlds that instead of like the weird dystopian world, like in that Mario movie, it's they go through the green warp pipe and it looks like the Mario levels like they're running through and it's like brick and green pipes and everything like that. Like, so they're, they look weird, but the world is like super Mario looking world. So at least you have like that because I, the whole dino land dino hat and stuff was never a part of super Mario's. It doesn't make any sense. And then they yeah, just threw it. Dino land is 
kind of a thing, but that, that like they have some like dinosaurs and stuff, but yeah, not yeah. like not the way the movie did it. No, no, like definitely it, not. Yeah. So with uh, with yours, Johnny, I actually really liked that. That was the the grown ups cast, <laughs> um, and I thought I thought just on simple premise, you kind of had it. Um, my only worry was that it could become pixels. Oh, one hundred percent! It would be like pixels. right, and and pixels. <laughs> actually, the trailers for pixels made me want to see that movie, and Why? I couldn't get through more than a half an hour of it. It's brutal. It's 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 really bad. So, Mine would be like pixels if it was made without taking itself seriously. Yeah, like pixels took itself as like a oh these characters need to save the world. It should have just been like we have crazy aliens that look like you know, Pac-Man attacking and it's a comedy around it. That's what mine is. Like the characters, none of them take, none of them take themselves seriously, but it's in the Mario realm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if I were going to rule it, so if we go on three things of cast pitch and you know, how well the rule was used, I think Johnny won the rule and I think Joe won the other two. I think I really loved, I would actually kind of want to see that movie and see a Mario franchise based on that. I love Peter Dinklage. That's that's perfect. I think that's great because then you can even have some things where you know he gets the mushroom, gets bigger, kind of play play a joke off that kind of kind of deal. And yeah, I yeah, that's what the world needs. More, more wanted, like, short people. Mario, but that's Dinklage. not. It's not a. You're not. You know, discriminating against him from it. Just, I, I just wanted like because you yeah. have the big height discrepancy in the game. I wanted yeah. like Peter Dinklage and like six nine Joe Manganiello as brothers right. opposite each other. And yeah, I wanted uh, someone who could carry the action too. Where you have Joe I, I honestly thought I was going to be put in a situation where I have to give Johnny another one and put him up. You know, to where you have to tie it. But uh, I think Joe took that for me. All right, so it's uh, four four. All right, so we got two left. All right, we're going to go. I kind of want to save Wild Wild West for last. So we're going to go with the Daredevil. Um, and, and, I'll, and I'll pitch first. Right. So Daredevil, there was a great Netflix show, Daredevil, but that was way after this one. And Daredevil 2003 starred Ben Affleck. Um, and what's her name? Jennifer Garner? Yeah. His ex-wife? Uh, it was Maybe wild. You had uh, basically Daredevil's whole thing in the comics is he doesn't kill people and he struggles with faith. And in this movie, he just like right off the bat throws a dude into a subway. But the movie is like his reflection on his life. It's him dying in a church almost. And then it's his, you know, life flashes before his eyes. And the movie has a lot of things with eyes because, you know, he's blind. Um, but in the movie, uh, Michael Clark Duncan is kingpin. He leaves. He leads all the criminals, and he kills uh, Daredevil, Matt Murdock's father. Matt Murdock grows up to be a superhero. He gets in uh, a chemical explosion, or the uh, truck crashes, and he gets chemicals in his eyes. So he's a blind superhero, but he has enhanced everything else. All his other senses are enhanced. So he becomes Daredevil, and uh, Bullseye comes in. He's got like a weird carving of a bullseye symbol on his forehead. He treats it like a nipple the whole movie. And then he, <laughs> and then he kills uh, Electra. And then again, Daredevil murders him and then uh, goes and like breaks King Penguin's legs. And that's, that's really, that's really all you need to know. If you haven't seen Daredevil, probably don't bother, but it is kind of a good. It's fine. Like fun. It's like 
watch. They have a fight scene like a on a. I was gonna say the best part of the movie. You didn't didn't mention that you're about. Yeah, to they play. have a fight scene on a swing set or like a seesaw. It's a seesaw jumping around. Very weird. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a. Oh, and she doesn't know he's Daredevil after that, even though he's jumping on the seesaw. While blind. While yeah. blind, like a psycho. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'll I'll pitch mine first. So, my Daredevil. Uh, is going to be someone I feel like is a good actor. He has the look for it, and he can do action, and that's going to be Tony Kebbell, or Toby Kebbell. Uh, he played Koba uh, in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and he was in Kong Skull Island. He was in the shitty Fantastic Four movie, I believe. As, uh, hey, don't forget Doctor about Doom. his back work. He was an interesting in Hurricane Heist. Oh, yeah, he's in that. That movie exists. I didn't even know he was in that. Um, and then we're going to go Electra uh, is going to be Sophia uh, Botella from Kingsman and Hotel Artemis. Um, she is the look and she can do the action big time for Electra. I really like her. My Kingpin is going to be Michael Clark Duncan is actually an amazing Kingpin in the first one, uh, but I can't bring it back because he yeah, all right, passed he. away. So Kingpin, I have uh, Pedro Pascal. Uh, he is in Game of Thrones and he is the Mandalorian. I want someone more crime boss. So it's going to be Pedro Pascal. And this is my rule. My bullseye. We are resurrecting a career. We're going to go with someone who had a healthy career ahead of him. He was great in a couple small movies, showed he could act. And then he was cast in the Star Wars prequels, and it ruined his career. Hayden Christensen is going to be my bullseye um, because I'm bringing him back from the dead. And then uh, my Foggy Nelson is going to be Clark Duke. He was the main guy in like Hot Tub Time Machine in the office with the, with the glasses. He looks a lot like the comic Foggy. Um, Jack, Jack Murdoch, the father of Matt Murdoch and Daredevil is going to be played by Thomas Hayden Church from Sideways. And he was Sandman, Spider-Man three. And my director, um, I like what Marvel does with a lot of their movies, which is take someone who's made smaller films. And if they can tell a story, we're going to give them a movie. So Lynn Ramsey, she directed, uh, we need to talk about Kevin and a really good small movie. You were never really here with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, where he plays a hitman. Um, she is very good at very dark tones, and there's nothing of, like, darker tones than Daredevil comics. Um, so here's my here's my full pitch. By the way, my Hayden Christensen is in the bullseye costume. He is wearing a mask with a bullseye on his forehead. He's not – he doesn't have it carved into his head, like, in, uh, in the other movie. But anyway, Matt Murdock is a superior by night, lawyer by day. A client he is set to defend is a henchman of Kingpin. Matt learns about Kingpin and decides he needs to be stopped. While investigating a suspect, Matt meets the woman of his dreams, Electra, and falls in love. Meanwhile, Kingpin hires Bullseye to kill Electra's father and frame Daredevil for it. Electra blames Daredevil, and they have a fight before Bullseye comes in and kills Electra and uh, weakens Daredevil. Bullseye and Daredevil have an epic fight scene in a church with no weird slow motion matrix ripoffs. Daredevil defeats Bullseye. But because of his faith, decides not to kill him, even though he's about to stab him with a piece of broken glass uh, from the stained glass windows. Instead, he rips off Bullseye's mask and uses the large piece of broken stained glass to carve the Bullseye into uh, into his forehead. Uh, it's, a, it's a violent scene. This is going to be an R-rated superhero movie. Um, Daredevil then proceeds to take on Ping, uh, Kingpin, which he I want the same shot of him kicking both of his knees out from the original one because that seems like the coolest thing in that movie. So he kicks both of his knees out. 
uh, before sending him to prison. The movie ends in a court case where Matt Murdock sends uh, Wilson Fisk to prison. So you still have the same, like, I'm not going to do it in the same order that the Daredevil 2003 did. I'm just going to have his origin story at the beginning of his dad being a boxer and fighting. But I'm not going to connect that to Kingpin because that was very Batman. Jack Nicholson is the guy who killed Bruce Wayne's father um, or parents type thing. In the Daredevil 2003, they made Kingpin the one who kills uh, Matt Murdock's dad and stuff. So I'm not, I'm not having that. He, he discovers him through the guy he's defending. Um, but plot wise, it's a, it's a similar, similar plot as the yeah. other one, but I have updated actors um, and a better director and it's going to be a much darker story. It's going to be pretty violent uh, because that's what Daredevil is. Okay. And so all the henchmen of Kingpin, it's going to be the hand. Okay. So you're, you're changing the tone. You're adding a few more comic book elements um, resurrecting Hayden Christensen and uh, and carving that bullseye into his yeah. forehead. Yeah, you're making it a little little grittier. Okay. Yeah, I like it. All right, Joe. All right, so I did it a little differently. Um, <laughs> let's just say that uh, my director is uh, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. They wrote uh, Superman: Homecoming, and they wrote and directed Game Spider-Man? Night. Spider-Man Homecoming? Game Night. Yeah, and Game Night. Oh, Spider-Man. Yeah, they wrote and directed Game Night, and they wrote uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, My Matt Murdock... Yeah, yeah, that too. Uh, My Matt Murdock Daredevil is going to be played by Oscar Isaac. My Kingpin is someone I never thought I would have said could play Kingpin until I watched a movie called Brawl and Cell Block 99. My Kingpin is Vince Vaughn. I thought about that. I'm not going to lie. I yeah, thought about I that. He looks like him. Uh, my Electra is uh, Alicia Vikander from Ex Machina in the new Tomb Raider movie. Uh, my Nicholas Nachios is Elias Cotius, who was Casey Jones in the like 80s uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, and he was also in Chicago PD for a while. Uh, my Bullseye is uh, Michael Kenneth Williams from The Wire and Boardwalk Empire, and he was supposed to be in Solo until he got cut out in reshoots. And then my Foggy Nelson is Seth Rogen. And I will just start by, you know, normal backstory. Young Matt Murdock, blinded by a canister of a oozing chemical, hits him in the face. Uh, We get scenes of him as a young kid. Uh, He realizes his other senses have been heightened. He can hear conversations blocks away, can smell food being made four apartments above his. Uh, And again, just like the regular movie, we see his dad rise in the world of fighting, but he's excited because his dad finally gets a title fight, but his dad doesn't seem too happy. And we as an audience are realized he's probably being told to throw in the fight. Uh, And this this he watches his dad's death and this has an impact on him is he doesn't want to see anyone else uh die like that makes it it's similar to batman where it's like witnessing his dad die makes him be like i don't want to see anyone else die either and so he vows he's not going to kill people cut to present day matt murdoch is a lawyer in court when a witness says the name kingpin and he's, we see multiple cuts of multiple people on the stand or in trial or other thing reference the name Kingpin. And Matt pressures this guy on the identity, but the witness doesn't talk. 
that night, the witness is visited by Daredevil, who asks if he's Spider-Man. Because I'm connecting this. It's not a rule I'm using because it wasn't a rule. But since it's a Daredevil movie and we're making it today, I'm connecting it to the MCU. And I'm just going to say Kevin Feige says that Netflix series just didn't happen. So this would take place in the MCU. But the guy asks if he's Spider-Man. And he says uh, he isn't as friendly before hanging the witness out the window. The witness reiterates he has never met Kingpin. Uh, meanwhile, Nicholas Nachios is meeting with Wilson Fisk. He says he isn't the type of businessman he thought he was and wants to terminate their business relationship. Fisk, Fisk says he doesn't think they can do that and asks if Nicholas has met his associate, Benjamin Poindexter. A man steps out of the shadows. Fisk then says, maybe you've heard his other name, Bullseye. We cut away. When Matt shows up on, to work the next day, his best friend and partner, Foggy Nelson, tells him that there's a girl waiting for him, a hot girl. Matt recognizes his college girlfriend, Electra Nachios. She, sh- she says she needs Matt's help. Her father went to speak with Wilson Fisk to end their business agreement and never returned. Matt and Foggy go to Fisk's office under the pretense of looking for new clients to represent. They are quickly turned away, but Fisk steps out because he wants to meet the blind lawyer from Hell's Kitchen he has heard so much about. The three of them talk for a bit in Fisk's office. When they return to their office, Matt tells Foggy and Electra that Fisk knows something. When he referenced Electra's father, Fisk's heart rate increased. Uh, since it's a Marvel film, we get a few dumb comedic moments, like Electra asking to use the bathroom, but Foggy saying she can't because their building's plumbing is backed up and the whole block has plumbing problems. Cut to a flashback scene of Foggy on the toilet when sewage launches out of the toilet. Long story short, Kingpin sends Bullseye after Electra because he fears she knows too much. Daredevil saves Electra, but recognizes Bullseye from when he and Foggy went to fix Fisk's office. God, Fisk is hard to say when you have a list, I'll tell you that. Bullseye sa- so say says he worked. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> blah, blah, blah. They fight. Uh, Daredevil figures out that Fisk and Kingpin are one and the same, and he goes and confronts him in his office. Uh, they fight. Kingpin takes Daredevil's mask off and realizes who Daredevil is and that a loud sound would be a weakness. Now they're rolling in the street and he turns on his own car alarm, which activates the nearby car alarms. Matt is disoriented and and is getting mauled by Kingpin. He is about to die. And here's the rule I'm using a twist ending because out of nowhere, we hear a cowabunga Four massive turtles and ninja masks appear. Mikey, Raph, and Leo fight this. I as know Donnie tech kills to turn yeah. off the car alarms. When the car alarms are off, the four ninja turtles and daredevil team up on Fisk. Fisk loses the fight and the cops are called on Kingpin when the, when they find a briefcase of evidence left in front of him after he has been hogtied. Mikey asked Matt if he's nervous. Kingpin will, say what happened kingpin interjects and says it would be humiliating to say he lost to four mutant turtles and a blind lawyer my post-credit scene is spider-man approaching daredevil about being in an avenger but he says he needs to look out for hell's kitchen i will say i wrote this when i thought alex was gonna be the judge and that was 100 percent gonna be pandering to him <laughs> yeah he I loves to say universe. though that is fantastic like so yeah joe do you know the connection of ninja yeah. turtles and daredevil does that on purpose yeah 100 percent. that's why i wrote that okay. in there all right. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, because I knew the know, ooze. I thought I was originally going to write that we see the ooze roll in the sewer, but I thought that would okay. be too obvious. Yeah, yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, the Ninja Turtles was created by two dudes in college who based it off the Daredevil comics. So the Ninja Turtles were just kind of originally somewhat fan fiction, and it was people doing it as 
Daredevil, but they spun like, okay, in Daredevil, you have the ninjas are the hand. So it's the foot in, in Ninja Turtles, but you have like them, you know, that's where it's based on. So that's the connection between those two things. Um, Joe, not only did you ruin Daredevil by having weird comedic moments like that, you also threw that movie into the MCU and then brought in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it, it kind of made I, it kind and of also work. this. Also, here's my biggest problem with yours because I get very singled out on one little thing in movies. Usually, I refuse to accept that we will have the Daredevil weakness is loud noise as canon for the MCU because that was just some bullshit that they put in the. 2003 daredevil that's not real daredevil that's very stupid and that is not in my movie and if that's in the mcu i will riot it, like well, you can riot a reference because that's also his weakness <laughs> and riot is the other symbiote exactly it's all venom but yeah <laughs> like him him being weakness to sound and also going into like a subway when he lives in hell's kitchen and not knowing a subway would like hurt him was like the dumbest thing in that movie. So I don't need that brought into the MCU because that's the worst thing they did with that character. But I like the story they tried to tell. So I kind of wanted to do mine as like an R-rated one-off Daredevil movie that's very similar. Like it's different of a movie, but it's like Joker, how that's just like a one-off movie. This is that. I don't want it to be in the MCU because Daredevil, first of all, you can have a fun Daredevil in the MCU, but it's pointless to put him in there because you have other characters like Hawkeye that can do that stuff. I'd rather have a Daredevil movie that's him on the streets taking care of Hell's Kitchen. So Joe has that ending, but I don't need any Spider-Man connections to this. And if they're going to put Kingpin in the MCU, it needs to be Vincent D'Onofrio. Or Vince Vaughn. What's one yeah. Vince or another? Yeah. Vince Vaughn was actually a really great choice, so I don't I don't have a problem. I, I mean, Vincent D'Onofrio killed it. It's amazing, but they're never going to put that version in the MCU, unfortunately. But I feel I feel like they could because they're doing it with uh, – I know it's a little different, but they're doing it with J. Jonah Jameson. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. Um, but since they're bringing him back, I think that opens the door for them to just be like, all right, well, you played him in the show, but we're just going to cast you as Kingpin because you're the right choice. So fingers crossed on that if they make, you know, MCU um, Daredevil movies. So this one's pretty tough for me. Do you, Joe? Do you have anything uh, that you want to say on Johnny's? Uh, trying to think. Not really. It just felt like a lot of the same. It felt like a blend of like the Netflix show and the, like the 2003 movie. I didn't feel like yeah. there was like newness. And that, yeah, but, that's right. but like Daredevil is supposed to be the super dark story. So I like that that movie had a darker tone. But I just want to get rid of some of the like shitty early 2000s stuff. And I don't need a scene where Foggy gets basically like the okay. scene in Dumb and Dumber with Foggy in a <laughs> Daredevil movie. The only, the only reason I put that in there is because I needed like, I don't want to say like a clue, but like some foreshadowing to the Ninja Turtles. So I needed something like sewer related or something. And that's all I could think of in the moment when I was writing. Also, also if you're going to do new superhero movies, like especially MCU I would hate for them to give that to the director of Spider-Man Homecoming, like, or the writers or whoever. Give it to new people because that's what makes the MCU so good is that all of their movies are written and directed by like new people unless they're like Endgame and the movies that come together. But I like that it's like, okay, now Thor, that's going to be Taika Waititi's thing. But we're not going to have Taika Waititi also come in and direct a Daredevil movie. Like, I don't like also, that the Spider-Man people would come in and do a Daredevil movie. Because, first of all, 
I know they interact in the comics, but they're such different characters. I'd rather give it to someone like Lynn Ramsey, who has never done a big movie and is a good storyteller and would kind of be like the directors that they bring in, you know, for the MCU but movies. But like right before the whole James Gunn, like Twitter controversy and everything, they were like, basically had already announced he's going to be in charge of everything like Marvel, like space, like anything in yeah. space with Marvel, he's going to be in charge. And of to be which, fair, uh, the Russo brothers directed fair. two Captain America movies between, before doing, you know, the Avengers. Well, like, but, 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 but I mean is like, but then you didn't also just give the Russo brothers Spider-Man. Like you have them doing Captain America and then they were the ones to take over the whole big thing. I'm fine with one director and one like team of writers or whatever, sticking with one character and then doing team up movies. But I feel like it's a cool thing in the MCU when every character is kind of started by its own person and like, it doesn't always stick, but like, I like that thing in the MCU that they do that. Cause not only does it give more opportunity to like these smaller directors, it yeah. also gives every character more of their own character and style. So, and I don't want any, bit of tone of spider-man homecoming in a daredevil movie like that just does not belong so here are my thoughts on this is with with yours johnny i have a problem with that we already saw the best version of a gritty daredevil in the netflix show but we didn't so we did we saw such a like the a great version of it and this is kind of just a retelling of the 2003 movie and the problem with joe's is i see i don't think that tone or directors really fit but I really do like your cast, um, and I like the connections. I actually did like the Ninja Turtles twist. That was pretty fun. So if you're going to make a fun Daredevil movie, I think that's the way to do it. Um, but what I think I'm going to do here, if the two uh, hosts of the show is okay, is I'm going to set a precedent and call this one a tie to bring it down to the last one, because I really don't know who to pick there, and it's, gonna, it's just going to be a toss-up. And I don't want to set this up to where that chooses the winner. All right, now we have to have a winner because we won't have a – a tie and have to figure out what kind of well, weird tiebreaker. Are we tied right now? Isn't it 4-4 four, four, and then... So, so it's 4-4 four, so four and we got one left. So whoever wins Wild Wild West yeah. will win. Because okay have to pick one Right. So if, if I had given this to someone, it would have just been a coin flip, honestly. So then it would have been, you know, either playing for a tie or the other person playing for a win. All right. So whoever wins Wild Wild West gets both points and wins 6-4. to four. It'll be like our Spaceballs thing, how we waited on that and then I awarded it to you later. <laughs> yeah. There you we'll go. go. We'll do that. Because I don't so know if you guys have, I don't know if you have a tiebreaker set up or not. I mean, we can set one up going forward. Yeah. I just we, we, we would we were. What we you would, would basically tell us to do a movie, and we would just like do it real quick. You okay. just you a random us, movie like, and an improv. Yeah, and I was thinking of that too, but honestly, I was like, I don't know who I would give this to. Um, so I was going to yeah. see if you guys were okay with that. Otherwise, I can pick a winner, but it would be a coin flip. No, I'm okay if we're going into Wild Wild West determines the winner. Okay. Let's do it. But then you just have to pick someone out of that. You can't. Oh yeah, I'm not going to do the same thing for sure. You get one of you guys. And, me okay, over. you you pick who goes first, then Bobby. All right. Um, so, uh, Johnny, you went first last time. I'm going to give this to Joe. All right. Now I got to remember what the hell happens in Wild Wild West. Yeah. There's a giant spider. All, All you right, need to so- know. It- Will okay, Smith so basically- is, uh, is James West, and he teams up with this dude Artemis and they are in the old West to stop this like evil doctor and there's weird technology in it. And then at the end, uh, Kenneth Branagh has a giant spider toy that comes out. Yeah, and it's like steampunk in the old West. And for some reason, yeah. Kevin Klein is also Ulysses S. Grant. Yeah. yeah. He plays two people. 
Yeah. All right. Very so. Wild. All right. So my director is going to be Travis Knight of uh, Bumblebee and Kubo and the Two Strings. Um, my Jim West, I'm going to have Mahershala Ali replace Will Smith. My Artemis Gordon, I'm going to have Timothy Oliphant of Justified Deadwood and Mandalorian fame replace uh, Kevin Kline. Uh, my President Grant is going to be played by Brad Pitt. My wait, Dr. Wait, wait, wait. I think I just figured out your rule. Wait, your last rule, you're making this, I don't want to ruin your reveal, but you're making this a no, space don't. movie? No, please don't. <laughs> that was my pick for this. That was my first thought for this movie is I would put this in space. All right, so, so my my Dr. Loveless, my, replacing Kenneth Branagh, I'm going to have Warwick Davis, who was in like a bunch of Star Wars movies, and in uh, he was Professor Flitwick in the Harry Potter Harry movies, Potter. and he's a dwarf. And I'm going to, I made it a dwarf because in the original show, Dr. Loveless wasn't a paraplegic, he was a dwarf. So I just decided to go back to that. And then my Rita Escobar is Zoe Saldana. And now my pitch. I'm taking the movie and changing the frontier of the West and changing it to the final frontier. That's right. The rule I'm using is setting it in space, specifically Mars. I'm taking the Western action sci-fi comedy and turning it into a Western action sci-fi drama. The film's aesthetic is very similar to the Old West, with characters wearing cowboy hats to block out the sun and the thin atmosphere, and people are going to be covered head to toe for the same reason, and some even wear bandanas over their face to keep the sand out of their mouth and nose. Uh, And both heroes and villains carry photon pistols. Now for the plot. At some point in the future, a human colony on Mars decided they didn't want to be ruled by those on Earth, and they went to war for their own autonomous independence. Four years after the war, Martian Army Captain-turned-bounty hunter Jim West and his friend and local deputy Artemis Gordon are chasing down a criminal when they are contacted by Martian President Grant. He says that two scientists have gone missing and he needs their help in finding them. The two scientists are botanists and have been crucial in helping Mars be sustainable without the use of Earth's without the use of Earth's resources. West and Gordon go to the scientist's last known, no, known location and find a clue that leads to former Governor Loveless, the leader of the Martian colony before the war. Loveless is known around the solar system as a genius inventor as well. The two men follow the, a clue and infiltrate a party at Loveless's mansion. They are approached by Rita Escobar, who asks for their help in finding her parents, the two missing scientists. At the party, Loveless unveils his new weapon, a photon tank that can level a small city in one blast. Loveless says it's to help defend from those on Earth. Later during the party, West, Gordon, and Escobar overhear Loveless telling a small group of people he plans on using the tank to take back control of Mars, and that he plans on discreetly transporting the tank to the capital tonight. They also overhear that Loveless had Escobar's parents killed to force Mars to be dependent on Earth again so people would lose faith in President Grant. Eventually, there's a big chase scene uh, as they try to follow what what I'm calling a photon uh, train with a tank. And they're on what look like Star Wars speeder bikes. Uh, There's a big shootout. Loveless takes the tank, breaks out of the train. He kidnaps Rita Escobar. And the Artemis and West are forced to ride the train to the capital and hope that the tank hasn't completely destroyed the city by the time they arrive. Uh, when they reach the capital, Loveless has kidnapped President Grant, and his only demand is to be reinstated as the leader of Mars. 
Grant says he would rather die than see Loveless rule Mars, and West and Gordon realize they need a distraction so Rita can be rescued. West wraps a bandana around his face as a disguise and wanders on stage pretending to be drunk. He fights Loveless's guards drunken master style as Gordon releases Grant and Rita. Loveless realizes what's going on and gets in his tank. It's a Mexican standoff. And basically how I would have designed the tank is there's like no top to it. It's like you can see, still see uh, Loveless in the tank. And uh, there's a Mexican standoff. Gordon and West with their photon pistols and Loveless in his tank. Loveless is about to fire, but the tank powers down. Grant shot out the power source of the cannon. West, Gordon, and Rita are shocked, but Grant says, I was a military general. And Loveless is arrested. Grant hires Weston Gordon as the first marshals, M-A-R-T-I-A-L-S. It's a pun because, again, when I wrote this, I thought Alex is judging and he's a lover of puns. Both <laughs> men try to hit on Rita, but she confesses worry, that she too. is married and and uh, she is married and her husband should return from Earth within a week. The movie ends with Gordon and West riding off into the sunset on their new speeders. And that's my pitch for Wild Wild West, set on Mars. Right. So quick side note here. I was going over this with my wife, uh, Jen, before this. And I was saying how there's a few movies I, I thought the, the rule was obvious. And she goes, yeah, Wild Wild West has to be in space, right? And that's exactly that's what I would have done too. Wild so, West. Uh, okay, yeah. well, I thought this had a very obvious rule. And for anyone... Yeah, process of elimination, track, I do like your rule. My rule is going to include Jay and Silent Bob into this West, uh, into this Wild Wild West movie because the reason that movie even is talked about today is because of Kevin Smith. So why not let him direct the remake of it? Um, so he's directing it. We got uh, my James West, originally Will Smith, is going to be uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. from Straight Outta Compton and Angry Goes West. Um, AKA ice cube son and Joe cast him in another movie. We had some crossovers for a lot of these people. Uh, my Artemis Gordon, originally Kevin Klein is going to be Will Forte. Uh, who's great in Nebraska and a bunch of TV shows, last man on earth. Um, my Dr. Loveless originally Kenneth Branagh doing an insane villain performance. So I need someone who has experience being an insane villain and that will be Eddie Redmayne from Jupiter Ascending, basically playing the same character. Is he going to whisper, you know? The whisper talk. And it sounds a lot like Voldemort, and then he yells no, randomly. Yeah. So no, it's going to be that, but it's going to be a play on that. So he's going to be doing that character, but like self-referential. Your, your um, version and, of that sounded like Dumbledore, by the way, from the first two Harry Potter movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do get mistaken for Dumbledore a lot. Um, oh, and my producer of this movie is John Peters. Um, not sure if he's even alive still. Okay, oh, so... He, he just he got divorced from Pamela Anderson. Oh, wow. They were married for like five days, and then they got divorced. I thought he was married to Cher. Or was he just her hairdresser? I don't remember. I don't anyway. Know. Yeah. So... The movie starts with Jay and Silent Bob discovering a giant blunt called the Time Warp. They hit the blunt and are transported to the world of Wild Wild West. They land on the uh, train and interact with our two lead characters. Um, they go through the world trying to survive as action. Basically all happens around them, but they are teamed up with the two heroes. Um, Dr. Loveless creates a giant mechanical spider to defeat James West and Artemis. Um, the climax of the movie is the giant spider about to kill the heroes 
when Silent Bob steps in to give one of his famous monologues. He tells the spider how he once met a producer that insisted on a giant spider being the climax of a superhero film, but he convinced the producer it was a very, very bad idea. And uh, the spider listens to the wise words of Silent Bob and walks away into the sunset. The heroes are saved and giant Silent Bob or Jay and Silent Bob are teleported back to their current timeline. And uh, Ice Cube and his son are both doing the new Wild Wild West song. So that's basically my movie. It's going to be a very campy Jane Silent Bob movie and finally have some closure on the giant spider, which anyone who has no idea what we're talking about, look up Kevin Smith, John Peters story. Pretty much all people need to know. So question on that. So are Jay and Silent Bob the lead or are there two main heroes of the story the lead? Who, who's kind of running this I would, story? I would say it's Jay and Silent Bob. It's from their perspective. So they're, jump, they're put in and then it's like Jay and Silent Bob reboot kind of type thing where it's, it's their perspective, but they are teamed up with the main heroes and the movie plays out with them kind of following around trying to get back to their reality. So they're hiding behind things while you know, the heroes are fighting and then Jay or silent Bob kind of steps in from his hiding spot to talk to the spider at the, okay. at the end of the movie. And then for Joe, uh, cause I got the tone that Johnny's going for. What kind of tone is yours more like MCU kind of tone, more serious, more comedy. What, what I would say of, if I could compare it, I, well, yeah. I would say if I could compare it to another movie, I would compare it to something like the first Kingsman movie where it's like, there's like dramatic moments and like more action. There's like com- comedic elements for sure, but it's not like the first Wild Wild West, which was like a straight up just comedy. more comedy than action. Yeah. But Joe, your movie to me sounds like like the original shitty Dune and like the bad remake of Total Recall and like the shitty John Carter movie. Like that's what your movie sounds like. Like it's just like a boring space movie that no one needs to see. Like I feel like I, I just saw yeah. your your shitty movie with Alita Battle Angel. Like, very different, but, like, that is the tone I got. Like, oh, more of a fun action movie, but it's futuristic, it's in space. That's That movie was fucking terrible, and that is what your movie sounded like to me. I'd rather see Kevin Smith interact with a giant mechanical spider. Really, the, the soul. You're the only one movie. who thinks that, I think. that of, Like, your yeah. movie doesn't even sound like uh, a Wild Wild West movie. Your movie sounds like a recreation of the John Peters story. Yeah, yeah so- pretty much. So here's here's my thoughts on this because Joe's. I mean, like I said, my my rule, if I were looking at this list, would be to put it in space. But I did find your plot to to kind of be a little little bland, a little boring. You know, it's a little. I, I thought it would, it, it would be fun, but it, it was more comparable to some other movies I've seen. Um, with yours, Johnny, though, the thing is, I love Jay and the Jalen Silent Bob thing. I would have put them as the two leads from the original movie. If it, you know, just yeah, but that's not how Jay and Silent Bob work. Yeah, I know, but I and, but and the only other problem is I think that that story, as funny as it is, that joke to be the third act big, um, the climax, kind of reveal, the climax of the movie is a little too inside baseball. I think there are going to be people that love that, and I think movie industry critics that have heard that story would actually really love that, and the general audience would be like, what. Where did this but come this is from? Also, a so. Kevin Smith movie, so there is no general audience seeing this. It's only Kevin Smith fans. So anyone who's seeing this movie knows that story because they all listen to Kevin Smith. Like no one, no one goes to see 
like the Jay and Silent Bob movies anymore other than Kevin Smith fans. So like all of his jokes are inside baseball. If you saw the reboot, he has Ben Affleck in it and his whole scene is just referencing Batman v Superman. Right. And the, and the, like the, you know, everything behind the scenes on that movie. Yeah. The only problem with that is most of the, because that's his tone and that's what he does. Most of his movies are made for 5 million bucks, something like that. And I feel like this movie with a giant spider still in it, CGI spider or, you know, that'd be the whole budget would, would make too much. Can I counter though? If, if only Kevin Smith fans are seeing it and then it's a movie where, you know, Jay and Silent Bob are going back to the old West. Like everyone's like waiting for that joke. Like when that yeah. joke and that whole third act happens, you're not going to be like mine. Everyone's waiting for that shit. joke because it's the best joke, but it's not the only joke. Like it's, you know, it, it's a Kevin Smith movie. You're still going to have good dialogue and funny. I like uh, my cast a lot in terms of like what they can do in a comedy. Yeah. And their interactions, you still have some of the funny stuff, but you get rid of like, Wild Wild West is like an unwatchably bad movie. So I would just basically take the ridiculousness of that and put in characters that can break the fourth wall into that story. So it would be these series, these like O'Shea Jackson and Will Forte would have like funny dialogue back and forth. And it, but it would be like the rest of the movie, everything from Jane Silent Bob would be breaking the fourth wall and being like, what is happening like, mm-hmm. how is this happening? And yep. they would comment on how crazy the world is and how crazy Eddie Redmayne's performance is. So that movie, to me, I think I might like that movie. I just feel like that is such a, a niche movie. It's a Kevin Smith people. movie. It's a niche yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back at my notes, because, again, I didn't find the pitch as far as Joe's to be super interesting, but Mahershala Ali, Timothy Oliphant, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt and Warwick Davis – with Travis Knight, because any, anything Travis Knight's done, even if the story might sound bland, the story of Bumblebee is E.T., it's any movie in that vein, um, and it has a lot of heart and is really interesting, so I feel like he could direct that and give that movie so the heart that it needs. Um, so because I think, Johnny, you want... Brad Pitt in space. Bad idea. Straight trash. Yeah, it's a, it's a boring movie, but that that's okay. I mean, look, Brad Pitt usually is great. Um, but regardless, I think Joe pitched a movie that more people would go see. I think it could be fun. I think it could have a lot of heart. And I think Johnny's is just a little bit too niche for his own good. So I'm going with Joe. He gets the win. Yeah. Shame. It's bullshit. I disagree. All right. <laughs> so Joe gets the comeback because he was down by – at least two. Ooh. Yeah, I went easy on him. Yeah, it was four to two at one point. Yeah. Okay. Joe definitely wrote out longer pitches than that's I did. Yeah, that's the one thing. Uh, they. Well, I know, thought they, that kind of hurt some of his movies. It like, did. I feel it like did some of yours would be stronger them. if you just had like, hey, it's pretty similar to the original yeah. one. Like, I feel like we did the test episode, and then yeah. Joe was like, "All right, I need to put a lot of work into my pitches." And like, yeah, some I of went from my wrote all of my. Yeah, like Goonies was the only one, but I went from, yeah, I wrote all of my pitches in like an hour to like I spent an hour on each of my pitches. Yeah, to be honest, as a judge, I kind of took the cliff notes of yours as as I realized that it was going to be either really similar or really different. I just kind of took your tone and took your yeah. general concepts. Yeah, it's definitely uh, going to be like a paragraph yeah. or two next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really, I feel like that 
Um, and then, damn, we had some tough rules to make pitches. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I like how all of ours came together. Like, even the, the like, goofy ones, like my Tim Burton Warrior movie. But, like, some of these, I was just like, what the hell do I do? Yeah, this yeah, like, is so what's uh, your... it was, yeah, it's... Some... Go ahead, sorry. What I found is, like, the newer movies are a lot harder to do because it's, like, especially mm-hmm. if it's good, it's, like, the cast. It's, like, well, I don't really want to change the cast, but I guess I have to, so I'll go with and do something completely different. And it's 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 a weird balancing act of finding the right rule for the right movie because if you don't have the right rule for the right movie, you're just dead in the water. Like, Tim Burton's Warrior. Like, that's that was, like, never going to win unless I somehow picked, like, an even worse rule for that movie. Yeah, Tim, yeah but I was, I was also planning maybe alex would find that funny and pick it so <laughs> i found it funny but Bobby, Bobby found it funny, but he, he took it more seriously and i and i don't know like some of it i just you kind of either got to go for the serious movie or the joke to me like yeah i i felt like uh for mine i'm like all right well i'm gonna make mine more of like a comedy or a comedic thing to kind of win on that but then like it's tough when you do that and then the other person pitches a completely serious movie like warrior like i pitched like the goofiest thing ever and then joe was like yeah i have this real serious like drama it kind of worked yeah warrior was tough we need to get rid of movies that are like good and recent because like that was too that was too tough you can't update anything so it's just like recasting and yeah sports movies too are are tough in general but yeah it was fun yeah that was fun i guys put on a good show also we've done 20 movies now joe and have not connected the same rule to any of these movies yet so one day we'll have the same one at least one rule connect with the same movie and it'll be a pitch based on that but again we went 10 movies 10 rules not one pairing yeah i just want to apologize to anyone watching or listening to this for any technical difficulties you know we're still trying to figure this out you know if you're watching or listening, you know, like, subscribe, share. Uh, does anyone else have anything they want to say before we? No, uh, not really. This this was uh, this was fun. Yeah, right, well, a lot um, of fun. Glad I could uh, could join you guys. And uh, yeah, thanks, Bobby, for yeah. for. Yeah, I think it'll be helping judge. Yeah, yeah, I think next Joe week... and I wouldn't have conceded on half of these. No, huh. no. Yeah, I think next week it's going to be me judging, and then uh, Bobby and Johnny versus each other. All right. Yeah, that'd be good. So, yeah, Sounds I'm uh, brothers against each other here. Yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> Joe Fricky. I'm Johnny Duke. I'm Bobby Mitchell. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening, watching.